and welcome to episode number 55 of The Third Power. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Anthony Avatolo, and as always, the ever-jubilant Usman Jamil joins me. Man, I'm jubilant. <laughs> God, one of these days, one of these days you're going to be excited. I can't, I don't know I what I that did, day is going to be. I did one time and it like I like blew your eardrums off. Yeah, maybe you did like a demon growl or something like as a uh, as a welcome. So probably I don't know. Well, today is actually a very special show because we have a very special guest who I in a way and uh, is somewhat the uh, predecessor, the precursor, as it were, to uh, the third power cast. We have Marshall Sutcliffe from the Limited Resources podcast. Uh, and of course, Magic Pro Tour and Grand Prix coverage. How you doing, Marshall? Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I am, uh, super happy to be here to talk a little, uh, cube with you guys. Oh, man. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. You know, we know you're a busy guy and we're all love, you know, having you come in and, and talk about limited because, you know, that's what cube is. It's this custom limited format and it's great to have, uh, you here, uh, both as an, you know, an inspiration for doing this cast and as, uh, as a brain that we're going to get a chance to pick here for a couple of hours. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know what? Let's get right into the picking. Um, Marshall, can you uh, give us a little bit of background on what your cubing experience is? Uh, kind of, you know, when it may have started, what kind of cube it was, what you were thinking, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, so I, I started playing cube, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot later than than most people that were into it. It was already a thing. Uh, at least becoming more of a thing when I uh, first did it. Though I will say it wasn't nearly as mainstream as it is now. Um, but I'm not like the cool cube hipster like you guys are who have been uh, <laughs> been up on it for a lot longer. Um, but when I first started, I was overwhelmed with cube. Uh, I remember finally kind of getting a decent feel for limited uh, in in normal sets and feeling like, okay, you know, I'm I'm getting a feel for this. Not just this set. But like when a new set comes out, I'm starting to see patterns. I'm starting to develop kind of my style and, and how I like to approach these things. And, you know, I had been doing the podcasts and stuff. And uh, none of my friends locally had a cube. Uh, so I hadn't done one. And I, I can't remember when I actually first first did a cube. But I do remember some of my first cube experiences. And I remember feeling really overwhelmed. Um, I remember reading a lot of the cards, not understanding a lot of the interactions, uh, I was particularly perturbed with morphs because I didn't know what any of them did. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be fair, I didn't know how it worked until Time Spiral, and it was like, okay, here's morph. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's how I was too. And then they're like, well, I can pay something and then flip it up. I'm like, well, then what happens? They're like, well, then it's the thing that it's face down. I'm like, okay. And then they flipped it up and then something else happened. I'm like, well, you didn't tell me that things could also then happen. They're like, well, yeah. And I'm just like, ugh. And so I, I remember being annoyed by those, but fascinated by how deep Cube was. I, I remember immediately being drawn. I was just like, I am going to end up loving this, even if right now it's a little bit much for me. Um, you know, the, the thing is that I stopped playing Magic like many people did you know, kind of back in the day and then came back to it. So there was this big gap of cards that I just had no familiarity with at all. And yeah, cause I think you started back during like Shadowmore or Lorwyn, right? Didn't like Ryan's yeah. back in the game. That's right. That's when I came back. And before that I stopped playing around, uh, I don't know, Tempest or sometime in that time frame. you know, oh, Ice wow, Age, okay. you know, whatever. So it had been years and years since I played and, uh, I missed, uh, well, obviously, I missed a bunch of awesome cards, and uh, I also missed Magic getting to critical mass where we could make things like cubes. And so 
when I came back and I started cubing, I was just overwhelmed. And, you know, I was pretty good at reading a card on the fly and figuring out, okay, this is really good. Or, oh, I remember seeing this one in somebody's legacy deck once. I, this, this one's good. I know that. But the mm. problem came in with the interactions. Um, you know, people were drafting sweet decks, right? I mean, and I'm talking about, you know, highly synergistic interactive decks and they just knew all the tricks and I felt like I knew none. I was playing my creatures and I was turning them sideways and, you know, I would pick up on interactions as I went. I was pretty good about that, but there was just too many to know uh, up front. So instead I kind of had a mental switch and I just said, all right, well, I'm going to learn this because this is super fun. Like the things that I saw, I really liked. And uh, so I, I just sort of Instead of, I had to kind of put my spike self aside for a little bit and just say, all right, we're in learning mode. We're in sponge mode, right? And, uh, so when somebody would do something, I'd be like, all right, explain to me, you know, w- what is happening here. And they're like, okay, well, since this has this, I can flip this up and then I can bounce it with this thing, but with this on the stack, oh, okay. And, you know, you, your brain starts to get a feel for these, mainly just these two card cube interactions that you've probably never seen before unless you play a lot of cube or maybe some EDH uh, will include some of these two card combos, but a lot of them don't. And, you know, these are things that I didn't know and, uh, and I needed to learn. And it took me a little while to pick it up. And man, I took some tough lessons along the way too. Uh, but I finally did. I finally got to kind of critical mass where like I knew most of them. I could start playing around them. And then the more intricate ones or the ones I just hadn't seen were just cool. Like I just picked those up on the fly, but it wasn't impairing me. But oh man, I took some beatings <laughs> in the early days. I remember <laughs> the first time uh, that I had upheaval played against me and I had never actually seen upheaval before. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was Max McCall, uh, who, who used to work at wizards and, you know, Max is a, he's a pretty dry guy. You know, he, he, when he plays mm. magic, he's, he's pretty straightforward. He's not animated or, you know, joking around or he kind of is, but in his own way, uh, joking around, but he's not animated or friendly even, you know, he's just sort of there. And I didn't really know Max that well at the time either. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't friendly to me, but, uh, the way he played against me certainly wasn't. He, uh, he, you know, played a bunch of mana rocks and then upheavaled. And I'm just like, eh, like I wasn't, I was like, I, I had the edge at that point. I had been kind of tempoing out in the air or something with like a Vendillion click or something like that. And so I was like, you know, I was feeling pretty good about it. And then he upheavaled and I'm like, okay, no problem. Like, you know, he has to discard a bunch. Of, and then I looked at my hand. I'm like, oh my God, I have to discard a bunch. And then he's like Thran Dynamo. And I'm like, uh oh, I'm like, so what did you just do? And he's like, I floated like 11 mana, you know, and then he replayed like three cards from his hand, discarded a couple and said, go. And I'm looking at, you know, 15 cards or whatever. And I'm like, draw step. <laughs> and, uh, it was on that day that I learned a very hard lesson about how good upheaval is. And also that was probably the last time I passed upheaval in, in any cube that could uh, yeah. support smart. it. <laughs> smart. smart man, smart man. Yeah. I figured that I, one I, out somehow. <laughs> I am the, uh, like the unofficial crusader of uh, upheaval on on discussion boards. People are like, I don't get it. Like, how does it work? Or, man, I don't think this card's very good. I'm always like, whoa, 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 whoa. So yeah. imagine you get to restart the game. They're like, okay. But you have three or four turns of mana in play, and your opponent doesn't have anything. They're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, okay, I could see that. It's like, well, there you go. Worst case scenario, you start the game over. <laughs> exactly. Period. And yes. then you're probably at a lower life total. But That's is right. that better than being dead? 
Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, worst case scenario, we get some more turns out of it. Best case scenario. Well, I'm going to be on turn five, but you can go back to turn one. Is that cool? Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, discard eight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, not that those are super relevant at that point, but like it is pretty insane <laughs> to have to watch somebody, you know, try to figure out how to uh, do that, too. Yeah, I remember I remember a lot of those early things, but uh, I also remember going through kind of – I think a lot of people go through this evolution. Uh, I'm sure you guys see it a lot too, but you know, I've, I started off drafting relatively fair decks because those were my comfort zone, right? I mean taking the blue and black cards where sure. I could tutor up stuff that I didn't even know what I was looking for just felt overwhelming. So I was playing – you know, more of the, 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 the green, the white, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, creature decks. And, you know, I, w- I would take a, a sword very highly and, and be pretty excited about that. Um, and then I kind of started to transition into dabbling into more of the blue based decks, you know, kind of the value decks that are like, okay, I know how to play these cards and, and doing that. And then eventually just putting on the scuba gear and going full depth, you know, and drafting five colors or these crazy archetypes and kind of eventually culminating with me, uh, you know, really getting a feel for all the formats. I was very brave, uh, you know, considering that I didn't really know all the cards, I would just, I would just push hard in one direction uh, early on and try to figure out, all right, what is it that this deck is trying to do? I don't really care if I lose or I win. I just want to know, like, what does this deck have to offer? And I really did try to try as many different archetypes as I could think of and eventually found one that I liked uh, for myself. And then, but, you know, it's kind of, you're kind of setting the stage for yourself for the future because I definitely found some that I was like, well, this sucks. I'm never drafting this again. And not even because it was bad. I just didn't like it. And, uh, and finding the ones that I did like. And I thought that was a, a really fun sort of explore portion of my cube career. But, uh, I'm definitely over that now. I mean, I'll, I'll try out new decks and new cubes, but, you know, for cubes that I draft a lot, I, I definitely start to fall into, to patterns of the stuff that I really like. Right. You find the wheelhouse, what you like to play and what you enjoy playing. And I, I find it's, uh, for me, you know, it, it's the same thing, right? You start out doing one thing and then you try doing everything. And eventually you wind up in kind of this middle area where, yeah, you can go deep. You know, sometimes the, you know, you get a little, uh, you know, fickle's not quite the right word, but um, you're like, oh, well, today I feel like doing this. Mm-hmm. Or today I feel like doing this. And you're comfortable kind of living in that world instead of, oh, well, I have to do this or I only know how to do this. So it, that's certainly a transition I think that all of us, all of us make uh, as far as when the comfort level goes up, you know? Yeah, yeah that was the my worst story for sure. The worst is like when you are like, I'm going to draft so-and-so that I can just p- get past another deck. deck. Yeah, and right. you're like, come on, really? Like, I, I wanted to draft like the, the. I think one time I was like, I'm going to draft red, blue, something, and I just got past all the green cards or all the white cards, and I was like, okay, fine. I hate that. Yeah, and we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that too, for sure, about... Uh, you know, since we're talking uh, about cube drafting specifically, uh, we'll we'll certainly get into some more about switching and uh, stay in the course, abandoning ship, you know, archetypes and, and such like that. So we'll get into that. But uh, let's go ahead now while we have a chance and let's go ahead and do a crack a pack. Oh, yes. I wonder. I wonder what show I got that concept from. By the way, <laughs> so, so a uh, a blatant ripoff. So uh, this is a crack a pack. This is from uh, my. 570 card cube. Uh, it is unpowered. Um, doesn't have a whole lot of. Doesn't really have two card instant kills. Um, doesn't have a ton of the fast mana, but it is fully signeted, bounce landed. 
Um, and it's uh, it's it's got some conspiracy action too going on. Oh, so, interesting! Uh, nice. So we we've been real happy with that. And we'll we'll talk a little about that later. So Usman, if you'll type, I'll read. Here we oh, go. Card type. number one. All right. Card number one. Since Marshall called it, sort of body and mind. Ooh, that's a good one. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my, definitely my favorite number. sword in the cube. That that's the one that I want to see if I'm going to see one. Yeah, limited and forty card decks. Uh, <sighs> Pretty good to hit someone with a bird of paradise a few times, and you did. Yep. All right, card number two, Thundermaw Hellkite. Oh, nice. Sure. Card number three, a value card, we have Cloud Goat Ranger. Card number four is Worm Coil Engine. Oh, please. We got a, we got a nice one, Bruin. Card number five, and now this is the card I almost interrupted your story about three times and even our pre-show talk about this card when you say about you know away from the game coming back or people are new and have to read cards and you know or you know not realizing who the first co-host your first co-host was and you're just like really whenever i see someone have to read flame tongue kabu and go wow this card's pretty good i'm like well yeah so Hey, you know, it, it it ruined an entire format from playing X threes and X fours. Like ask Finkel and Lightning Angel how much they liked Flame Tunkabu. Have ever had people say like, "Man, I wish this hit players," and you facepalm? To be fair, I haven't had that happen. I just made that up. Oh, uh, that would be hysterical. Though. That would be. But yeah, they're always like, "This card's really good." I'm like, "Uh huh." Man, FTK, FTK, hold on, I have to say something about FTK, because oh. it's one of the most impressive creatures I think I've ever seen. Uh, it, it, even when I read it now, I think, eh, for cube, whatever, it's, it's okay, right? Like it two for ones, but at least behind a body that's pretty easy to deal with. And like a lot of times cube just doesn't care about what you have on the battlefield, but every single time that thing resolves, I'm like, God, that card's good. Like it has scratched and clawed for my respect and I was not willing to give it for a long time. I mean, obviously I respect it as a magic card, but I mean, you know, full on reverence of this card and I am there. Uh, Flame Tom Kavu is just simply one of the best creatures ever printed. And it's like, it still holds up even in the harshest of environments like cube. Mm-hmm. I digress. I, I, no, absolutely, and I want real quickly. I'll share because you know we may have we may do a tangent or two. So since we were talking about limited, I remember an invasion block draft. So full invasion block. I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and do it on Moto Marshall. I've I've drafted but, once, and I've and it was actually in real life. <laughs> okay, nice. so uh, invasion block draft. Open a Treva, the Renewer, which is the Bant Dragon. Open up, you know, like multiple Haros, multi, just like pretty much in the nut green, white, blue deck. Uh, pack two, I open uh, Questing Feldegriff. Perfect, right? Mm. Awesome. There's also a Flame Tongue Kabu in the pack. Oh, my God. And I think to myself, it, 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 it can't be right to take Flame Tongue Kabu here. I have to take the three-color card that's also very, very good in the three-color deck that I'm already building. Uh, yeah, died in the finals to the Flame Tongue Kabu. <laughs> not close. I'm like, well, well, yeah, uh, we should have just taken the Flame. We had double Haro. We should have just taken the Flame Tongue Kabu. We're stupid. And, you know, probably even maybe even had a chance to lap the other guy. But, yeah, that was that was at that point. I'm like, OK, lesson learned. Don't pass the Flame Tongue. No. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. All right. Card number six is a little less exciting, but pretty good. Wall of Omens. I like that card. Super solid. Next, it's Usman and Mai's favorite Crack-A-Pack card. Oh, is this start with a... It starts with a batter and ends with a skull. <laughs> oh, my God. 
This pack is We've bonkers. got a sword, a worm coil, and a batter skull? Apparently yeah. we're in Mirrodin now. Holy smokes. Uh, I welcome... Uh, ironically, I have a mirror token from Mirrodin on my table. Not a coincidence. Uh-oh. All right, card number eight is Reclamation Sage. Mm. That's a that's a metal. One of those cards that as soon as they print it, I'm like, that is an awesome cube card. All right, card number nine is <laughs> Nantuko Vigilante. Speaking of morphs. Well, these artifacts we're drafting aren't going to stick around, but... <laughs> <laughs> right, at least the, the green player is going to have a chance against them. Here we go. Card number 10 is Graveborn Muse, which is a fine card in its own right, but man, it's almost so easy to just skip over and next, next, next. Yeah. Speaking of next, card number 11 is Rude Awakening. Yeah? A card that probably more than any card in the cube, I've gone... Well, the only way here is if they have a Rude <laughs> Awakening. All right. Next Take game. 22. I'll just say like, or Crater Hoof or something like that. It's like, well. Yeah. Yep, you got me. I got over on uh, Next card is a duplicate. Okay. Uh, card number 13 is Desertion. Card mm-hmm. number 14 is Aleshnorn, Grand Cenobite. Wow. Much value in this pack. Yeah, this pack is pretty nuts. Did you see it with like mono value cards from Marshall? No, I absolutely <laughs> did not. All I li- I literally just went through my cube and pulled out card at a time and did it. And finally, I'm gonna, on, blue card. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you finish. The last card's gonna be Searing Blood or Searing Blade. There's no blue cards. What are you no. talking about? There's Worm Coil there's, Engine. There's, there's Batter Skull. <laughs> hey, no Tarmoglyph. Best blue creature ever printed. Oh yeah, Searing Blood. Card number fifteen is ooh we got a we got a spicy one rare be gone. What? Uh, what is that? So rare be gone is an unhinged card. It, oh. uh, it is a sorcery. It's two red black, so four mana totals. It says each player sacrifices all rare permanents, then reveals his or her hand and discards all rare cards. What? So, That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It is, and the, and the red-black archetype, aggressive archetype, is really based in commons and uncommons as well. It's just really strong with that. This card, a lot of times, is like, you know, a one could be a one-sided apocalypse. A lot of times, it'll it'll blow up multiple lands, blow up most permanents, and get half or more of their hand. That's insane. I've never, I've never uh, seen that card. Yeah, it's uh, unhinged. So. You know, I do run some unhinged cards, and cards like this are, I, I think, are really fun. Speaking and it's of, really good in this pack because we have a lot of rares and mythic rares in this pack. Speaking of uh, spicy new things, I'm going to try the spicy new ginger soda. Uh-oh. Are we having a drink break? Is that I, what's happening? Oh, wow. That is spicy. <laughs> wow. That's is, good. Is it burning your throat? Mm, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think you can burn Usman's throat. This is true. No. Made of, like pure, pure, like <laughs> years of <laughs> practice. Yeah. Rich Corinthian leather. Yeah, the point. <laughs> but yeah, this pack is definitely pretty good. I know what like, I'm taking. All right. Let's hear it. I'm taking batter skull. Hmm. Like, I feel like batter skull is like the, uh, kind of the safest pick here because if you, because it's cheaper than Worm Coil Engine and more resilient, uh, in some ways. I mean, Worm Coil's, you know, different. Uh, but I, I think that the one mana cheaper for Batter Skull's a really big deal because, 
you know, th- there's a lot of times uh, when I'm drafting in a cube and I am looking to dirtle. I'm not, I'm not looking to try to play a bunch of cheap creatures and rush my opponent, but I know somebody's going to do that to me. And uh, that turn of difference between getting batter skull down and getting worm coil down can really matter against the aggressive decks. As far as going deep into the game, batter skull does a good job, uh, roughly as good a job as, as worm coil. And they're both very difficult to get rid of. And batter skull has the flexibility of either being bounced back to your hand and recast or put onto another creature and, uh, and made that thing into some unstoppable, you know, vigilance lifelink beast. Um, I also like the fact that it's colorless here. Uh, you know, I, m- my general draft strategy is to stay open and I do tend to carry that into cube as well. I, I will admit that I'm staying open for fewer archetypes than I am in regular draft where I, I will pretty much draft anything that I think is, that can win a draft, but in cube, I'm like anything that can win a draft slash that I will enjoy a lot or as a strategy that I really like to play. I definitely let myself like, I mean, I, I've whined at Randy a bunch about this and, and other people, but like, I'm not a fan of, of overpowered mono red in cube, like where it's just non-interactive, you know, where sometimes it wins, sometimes it loses. I don't really care. I just don't, I don't like playing with or against it. Um, and so there are some strategies I, I'm just not really into, but mm. Batter Skull fits into pretty much everything that I want to do, uh, I think in some way or another. And, uh, and the fact that it's colorless means I get to, to, you know, try to choose that as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is really hard to argue with Batter Skull in this. I mean, in, mo- in, in a lot of packs, it's really hard to argue with, with Batter Skull. Um, it's the better of the two equipment, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sort of body mind was really interesting to me, but it's like batter skull. Okay. Well, if we're going to go that way, that's the way we're going to go. Um, it, it's cheaper than worm coil. So, and it's a, you know, once again, we're talking about getting back that life, you know, getting that, getting the, the, the corner turned against the aggressive decks. And you're right, absolutely right. That's one turn sooner. Um, the only, you know, for me, it's batter skull. The only thing I could see myself doing is drafting the rare be gone and then just going deep. And just making the rare be gone, no rare deck. Like maybe I'll take oh, like sweet. lands, um, uh, and just just jump right in. That's you know one of those like whimsical like okay we're doing this and just you know draft all the common and uncommon red black aggressive burn creatures or you know whatever it might be removal spells and rare be gone. Now and I, just watch did, people read it and go, wait what? Now <laughs> what about the uh, like I don't know if you mentioned this but. Are mythic rares also rares, or are they their own? Uh, they are uh, now. See, for me, mythic rare. It's right there in the title, right? Right. So it's just you know, uh, discard all rare cards. I talked to, uh, I believe it was either Randy or somebody when this when soon after this card came out, and they also agreed with me that yes, mythic rares are rares and should be, uh, will be affected by rare be gone. So basically, though, it's your choice, like, since it's your cube and it, it's not entirely clear. So you make it, so you've decided, though, that for your cube, it, it does actually hit Mythics as well. That's correct. Okay. Yep. And I go by uh, original printings. So if you happen to have, let's say, uh, Hypnotic Spectre is a perfect example. Hypnotic Spectre was printed as an uncommon in the core sets. Uh, it was printed as a promo and then later on was printed as a rare in ninth edition. Um, original printing was uncommon, so it's uncommon and ducks the rare be gone. Gotcha. Interesting. Or mythic, mythic rare Kurt Ape from FTV Exile. 
<laughs> right. Exactly. You're right because it's, oh, it's got that platinum symbol. Must be a mythic rare. <laughs> yep. Totally. So. So what but, do you guys take in here? The way we play it. I, I'm taking Batterskull, but I could. I'm definitely giving the wink towards Rare Be Gone that I might feel like moving in and. and I mean, just you're run. wheeling that card, right? I mean, likely. You probably shouldn't. <laughs> it's like one of those things where maybe you shouldn't, but nobody like people are like, "What does this do?" I don't know. I'll take this mm-hmm. other good card. What do, What do you take, Newsman? I think I take the sword. It keeps me the most safe and the most open. Because I mean, I don't mind playing it in low ish cre- low ish creature count control decks, which or you know even in you know aggressive decks where you know you obviously play it there. But I think I like it. How, how much? To, how much are you looking for mana dorks and such after that? Not necessarily. Just just something to wear pants. That's all. <laughs> I just found is. like what Anthony said about the the birds is is kind of like I, I found that you know turn one elf turn two sword is like it, it applies a ton of immediate pressure, right? Like your opponent who is planning on dirtling around all of a sudden is like, "Whoa, I'm going to be dead in three turns," you know. And I, I really like also the fact that. With mana dorks, it helps you because I mean the swords aren't cheap to get down and get equipped. It's quite an investment if they kill your creature or whatever in response. And uh, you know, I feel like you can take that risk a little more readily if you have some random dork to, like you said, just put the pants on in case it doesn't go on its intended target. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, I when I first pick a sword like that, I'm always looking for for those type of cards. Yeah, plus they're I, just I, awesome. Yeah, good old good old swords. <laughs> It's so so good. Yeah. Yeah, Batterskull, unfortunately, you know, Batterskull has ruined many a crack-a-pack for Usman and I. Yeah, there was a streak where it was, like, we had an episode, did we have it in the black episode where we talked about black cards? Ooh, I don't, ooh, I don't remember if it was in the uh, the black episode or not, but. I think it, I, I forget it was, but it, we got, like, uh, infinite black cards, and there was a streak for however long we had. Batter skull like five in a row or something. It's like this, this. Oh, batter skull, right? <laughs> sure, whatever. Right to the point where we would just cycle batter skull out of the pack and and draw a new fifteenth card. Yeah, that makes it more interesting, you know. But but this one's got some heavy hitters. I mean, yeah. Alesh Norn is ridiculous. Yes. I mean, we we expounded on Flame Tongue Kabu. Thundermaw Hellkite is is no slouch. You know, there's 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 certainly some cards to be played with in this pack. So. uh Better the batter skull, batter skull, and sword. Good thing we're we're also adventurous, taking all the uh, artifacts. I'm, I'm hoping all of to our wheel all are, of omens. All of our artifacts are just going to get destroyed by the green cards anyway. Right, and then the person then they're going to cast a rude awakening and kill us. Yeah. So yeah, or the guy that I took that desertion happens. is just going to uh, steal it. <laughs> thanks for the batter skull, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, they. What does it get? Does it get artifacts too? It, yeah, it gets it's artifacts. An artifact and or creature spell is countered this way. Oh, that's so weird. Push but... that card onto the battlefield <laughs> under your control instead of into its owner's graveyard. That's so. First that's... the insult, then the injury. Oh, that's true. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was that was awesome. Let's uh, let's move on to our main topic. So uh, the main reason why we wanted to bring Marshall on. Uh, was we do a lot of talking about cube construction, right? And, and even in talking about draft, we it eventually kind of comes around to construction, what kind of cards we want in the cube. But we don't do a ton of talking about the actual draft process itself. Uh, we've done a little bit on it, but you know what? We have uh, we have an, a limited aficionado here, so so let's talk about cube, but from the drafting point of view. So. Uh, there are some different points here. I'm gonna I'm gonna start out with one. We have uh, a variety of things we could talk about. Uh, 
since Marshall's here, what do you think is the most important thing to take from regular limited, you know, booster pack drafting or, or sealed, and applying it to cube draft? So, so you know, this is going to change for for different people, but I think the the number one thing that comes to my mind is the openness that we were talking about a few minutes ago. It's, I think that what you'll notice when you play regular draft is amplified in cube, where if you are in the correct colors, you get rewarded like ten times as much. <laughs> in a regular draft, if you're in the right <laughs> colors, you know you'll get oh, I got a, a pretty late uncommon that that is a pretty high pick and i'm happy about it and 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 that's your reward and you know you get to to have more playables or maybe the overall power level of your deck goes up but if you're in cube and you manage to be the one who's drafting the colors that either one or none other people at the table are drafting your deck is off the charts because the thing that people don't remember always is that and and I know you guys are hear this stuff all the time with your cubes and, and it comes up in regular limited too, but it's, it's the guy at the table, right? Who's like, how is this still in the pack? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, <laughs> that's cryptic command. There's like not that many decks that can cast it. You know, if I'm, you know, blue, green, white, I can't just slam cryptic and hope it all works out. Right. I have to be like heavily blue, mono blue, or have a ton of fixing in my two color blue X deck. Right. And that's cryptic. One of the best cards, you know, one of the best instants ever printed or whatever. And right. One of the best Texas cards ever made. Right. Yes. <laughs> Everybody knows what that card does. Yeah. <laughs> all four things <laughs> that happen in a right, specific so is it order. Target opponent or is it to target the creatures when it, when it count, when it taps them all? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. And you know, so, but for me, it's like, that's exactly what you stand to gain by staying open is you're going to be the one uh, scooping up those cards that just go late because, I mean, as you guys know, most of the cards in the cube are very, very strong, independently very strong. There's some synergy type cards that you'll find, um, of course, and there's some less powerful stuff. I mean, there's, you know, it can't all be uh, home run gold A++ but there's enough of those around that if you're willing to sacrifice picks in the early pack – you are going to get rewarded in the second two packs. And the way that that works that's different from regular limited is that in regular limited, you know, there's a certain number of very good cards in the pack. And if you set yourself up uh, to be in the right color, you could scoop up a few of those cards that you wouldn't normally get uh, if they get opened. In cube, if you're in the right colors, you could make a deck out of the two packs and just scrap the first pack. Now your deck obviously wouldn't be as good, but you can make an entire deck out of those picks. Like that's how dense the great cards are in cube. And so the reward ends up being absurd if you can stay open. And what that means is in a regular draft, every card that you draft uh, that you don't play, you're losing a little something. It's not in, it's not super impactful, but it matters. You know, you, you don't play your first pick dragon or whatever. Like that's going to affect your draft. You could have had something else, but you live with it to stay open and you take your hits and eventually you have to buckle down and just start taking any playables you can. But when it comes to cube, you can throw away multiple picks and still have a very, very competitive deck. Uh, any, any, I mean, I, I think most of the cube, uh, decks that I've ever drafted outside of some combo style ones or something like that. I could just scrap my top three cards and still have a very respectable deck. Obviously it would go down in power level a bit, but the idea of course being that by staying open and by being, being willing to let go of those first few picks in order to stay what's open. I mean, your deck is going to go up sharply in, in overall power level. 
Right. And you get to that point, too. And if you guess correctly or if you, you stay open enough and you're able to identify what's going on in the packs, you wind up with you – know, this just happened. I drafted recently – uh, was was in kind of one color combination at the beginning of pack one, and then halfway through pack one, as I saw all the cards that are looping of a of a different color, it's like, well, this is where I need to be. And right. then sure enough, guys, you get to the end of the draft and you go to construction, and you're like, guys, guys, I'm sorry to tell you, I only have 36 playables. Right. <laughs> and this was and the signal like, that you <laughs> picked up, you know, over halfway through pack one, like. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you were in your, you know, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth pick going, aha, I figured it out. And then you end up with 31, 30, you know, you're still making cuts of cards that you would never think you would cut from a deck. So yeah, there's a huge reward for being open. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for, and Usman, feel free to chime in here. Uh, but the other thing for me, uh, that's kind of the one advantage. What could be an advantage of a smaller draft? Like the six man draft, I do like a lot. Uh, eight mans are great. Ten mans are great because you get to really explore all the different archetypes that are available because just a ton of cards are getting opened, right? You have a chance to see mostly everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, that that real telling point, the tipping point for me is the second time I see all the packs. Mm -hmm. You know, and in a six man, you'll get to see. You know, if you're if you're drafting with fifteen card packs, you'll see that. You know, you'll see your first few packs three times going around, and that second lap when you start seeing cards, you're just like. Mm. If someone was in this color, they would have taken this card because I remember what else was in the pack. You're right. just like, all right, we gotta we gotta keep an ear to the ground for this and and, yeah. and figure out where to go. Yeah, this was the only good black card in the whole pack, and it came back. Right, nobody's in black. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or you're right. You you see that pack occasionally in cube. You'll get that pack where you're like, okay, this pack has a color. And you know, half the cards in the pack are of one color, and then when it loops, it's all those same cards. It's, you know, the, the cards that are out of there are the cards that were not that color. And it's like, ooh, okay, well, uh, I guess we should, uh, you know, dip our toe in here a little bit and let's see what can happen. Yeah, and you, of course, so, can get a lot from the opposite of that, too. And all the, you know, there was four good blue cards, or maybe blue's not the best example because everybody drafts blue. but Everybody loves yeah, blue. You know, there's four good black cards in the pack and a bunch of other stuff, and it comes back and all the black cards are gone. Stay away. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let them Abandoned fight tip. it out. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, very rare. And I think that's the other thing, too, that especially for new cubers that they may not exactly get is the fact that in a in a regular draft format, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I've, I mean, I've drafted plenty of my life, there's lots of skill testing cards. There are skill testing cards. There are cards that are intended to be fillers. There are cards that are going to consistently be 22nd, 23rd cards. But in the cube pack, this is something, and I'm sure I've, both of you guys have experienced this. You sit with a new cuber, and they open the pack, and they go, "This pack is nuts." <laughs> and you go, "Well, yeah, every <laughs> that's the point is that all the cards are pretty nuts, you know. Like this is exactly it. So you do have a lot of flexibility because you will get some value from picks 11 through 15, a lot, you know, certainly very playable cards and good cards for your deck." which may not happen in regular limited formats. Right. Unless, of course, you're fighting, right? <laughs> if you've got two other people at your table who are in the same colors, then uh, you can find yourself, you know, short on playables. That's happened to me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right. You wind up with the, all right, I'm in pack three. I better start taking all the lands because we're going to be playing a bunch of colors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's this definitely is, happened to me, not, too. This is not, this is not turning, turning out well. So, uh 
Yeah, we had a lot of you know people want you know talking about when to switch colors, uh, abandoning the high pick bombs, right? So you draft your upheaval, right? Pick, pick one, pack one, and then uh, there's no rocks and there's not that very very many blue cards, you know. And when when right. is it that you figure out when to get out? You know, how long do you hold on to that dream? Because I, I've heard the conversation too of well. But coming back the other way, the cards should be the colors should be more flush, because you know it's people directly upstream from me taking taking the blue cards in pack one, but in pack two I'll get them right, right. I mean that does happen sometimes. You know, it's just that it's not a solid long term game plan because you're basically saying I'm going to get one or two cards out of the first pack. I might get hooked up with a few of them in the second, and then I'm not going to get any in the third again. Right, exactly. <laughs> like the, the numbers just don't help you. Yeah, even even if that statement is sometimes correct that, well, you know, if they're going this way, then they're probably going to be going the other way, which is logically true, and it often is that that's the case. That doesn't justify, you know, hanging on to your, your first pick upheaval just uh, because you think you'll get a few cards in the second pack. That doesn't mean your deck's going to be good. Right, especially considering the third pack is just going to be the same as pack one, if not worse, right. where everyone goes into, I know what deck I'm in, so I'm just taking playables. But, you know, there there are many times I I uh, remember one draft in particular. I think I went pick one upheaval, pick two Maloku, and wound up mono red. Huh. <laughs> I, I did splash the Maloku, however. Nice. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> I am like, you know, eh, let's take these. Like, Maloku's pretty good in my cube since, you know, makes, uh, makes very large sure. flying creatures. And uh, it was just like, eh. I can't play. I couldn't justify playing the upheaval, but I'm like, all right, we're gonna play the Maloku because you know I don't want people to gripe at me that I'm playing mono red. It's not mono red, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> Go and fetch like the volcanic game one, and then they don't see anything. They're like, what is he doing? Don't know what's going on. So, all right, all right. So speaking of colors, lands. How do you feel about lands, Marshall? I've kind of gone through the uh, the gamut with lands. I I used to not draft them enough, and then. I talked to John Laux and Brian Wong, and all of a sudden I was drafting all the lands, and uh, and then now I'm kind of in the middle. Like I'll I'll do the all lands thing, but I'm not as enthralled with that as I once was. Um, you know, I had a a bit of an epiphany with that, and I and I think it was an important lesson to learn uh, with drafting the the lands deck, right? Where you're just sitting there, you're going to be five color, and basically you've got a very short list of cards that you would take over a land, and if one of those cards isn't in your pack, you just take the land. You don't care which one it is. And, you know, the the, the, learn, the thing that I learned from that was maximizing spaces, right? It wasn't so much about playing a five-color deck. I learned about that too, but the main thing was just that of the cards that I spent a draft pick on, you know, I would have, if I drafted 45 cards, I might be playing, you know, 30 plus, you know, well over 30, 35 plus of them, maybe mm. even up to like 40 or something, right? It's like, you can get this insane uh thing where you're like, I, you know, like John's goal was always to have to play one basic of each color <laughs> and then have <laughs> all of his lands taken care of. And, you know, if you compare that to a regular pile of, of cards from somebody that say they have two or three dual lands and then they're running, you know, 14, 14 or 15, uh, basic lands. I mean, if that's the case, you know, they're leaving what 15 cards or whatever on the table, uh, right. you know, and for, if I'm 
if I'm playing the five color deck or actually they're leaving 20 cards on the table or whatever. And, and, and for me on the other end, I could be leaving five, eight cards on the table. And, you know, and what I mean by leaving them on the table is I draft of my draft picks. I'm playing all but those and, and they're leaving a bunch in their sideboard that they just don't even get to play. And, you know, I don't really know, like, since you're taking a land, it doesn't affect the game, uh, directly, like, as a spell would. It's, you can't quite put it on the same scale, but I do know that it felt good to maximize all of the cards that I was drafting because, like, if you just take the average power level of my cards and match them up against my opponents, it was almost always higher, even on a land basis, right? Like, I've got duels, you've got basics, I've got, right. you know, these spells and just, you can match them up however you want and mine will give, go toe to toe with yours and generally be more powerful. And then the trick was, of course, to draw the right lands at the right times and to figure out how to maximize on when to cast things, when to sequence things and how to get the most value, which are all things that I really love to do and are a big part of why I enjoy cube. So, you know, for me, it's like, I've kind of come off that ledge though, as far as like, cause I used to force that. Like I would just be like, Oh, I'm doing five color again. This is great. And now I'll do it if it's there. And I totally sure. enjoy doing that, but I just don't need to <laughs> like I did for a, a period of probably, I don't know, six months or a year. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, that's there, all there, I really wanted to do. <laughs> there, there, there's a certain good friend of mine who works for R and D who was, who was always on the, all right, all the good cards, let's go and we'll figure out how to cast them. Is this you a know? Prozac? This is a Prozac. He's, uh, <laughs> he's a huge proponent of the, all right, let's go. You I know, have seen him in. draft cube once. <laughs> he goes deep. He goes deeper than almost anybody I've ever seen before. So, yeah, he is. Uh, when uh, at Gen Con this year was the first time I got to reveal some uh, conspiracy cards in my cube. And uh, are you familiar with WorldNet? Oh yeah. So Adam got to draft a WorldNet deck. Basically, <laughs> his dream, right? Uh, so oh, it was it was hysterical. As it turns out, he actually got the. Uh, uh, he actually got the Vidalkin Shackles, so he just played, like, all islands. <laughs> they made every color anyway. Like, hey, I need more islands. I'm, I'm running out of islands. You know, I need 30, you know, <laughs> however many they were for my I have to play all 45 cards, so I need 25, you know, 27 islands or whatever. Oh, I killed a draft of World Knit deck in cube. That is so cool. I'm, I'm, de I'm deeply jealous that's, now. That's the five-color dream, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> then you card, just yeah. get to take spells the whole. Oh, that's insane! I remember the time, Marshall, when you and John Laux were in a Moto Cube draft, mm -hmm. and I jumped in because I was using the beta at the time, so it could let you see who's in the draft. And I was sitting two seats down from John Laux, so I'm like, okay, I can't take lands anymore. No, I'm no. just going to be. <laughs> and somehow I ended up like in a Boros aggro deck, and I played John Laux round two. And he's playing oh, Lance. I I'm totally like, remember this. And I was like, all right, he's on five color control and he's playing John. I'm like, I forget what he's playing. And I find he's on John. I'm like, John. I was like, what? John. <laughs> Thanks for that. Killed him with reckless charge. A bunch you of reckless times. charged him. It was so funny. You made him sign one of those too. I gave it to you at Gen Con. I was uh -huh. like, I sign this. <laughs> I remember I got to hand it to him. It was great. What was his reaction? He's like, uh, he didn't get it at first, and then I reminded him. He's like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's great." I'm so terrible. You are. Was, it was great. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of land. I, you know, and I, I'm for me too. And this is something we actually had a specific episode on on lands and and drafting lands and including lands. But you know, I, I I'm a huge proponent of I want to cast my spells at the appropriate time. Oh, so yeah. if I'm a two color deck, if I'm a three color deck, I'll open up pack two. 
if I'm, you know, the, the Boros deck or whatever, and there may be a ridiculous card in there, but if there is that plateau or the Sacred Foundry, it's like, stay in the course. I want to be able to cast my spells when I, you know, when on, on time and uh, maintaining that sort of discipline. And I, I think that's something that a, a lot of people will, will get sucked into, like, oh, but I really want this Stoke the Flames. It's like, well, you know, there's there's 20 Stoke the Flames in the cube, you know, cards that do something similar, but there's only a few uh, Sacred Foundries. So. Yeah, I call that drafting like an adult. <laughs> I hate I hate doing it, but you gotta do, you gotta make yeah. the big boy decision sometimes I and like just take that. the land. Yeah, I like that. I mean, yeah, I, I I would always you know the discipline. I'd, I'd always reveal it to somebody too, like this. You know, show them the red card, like show them the cough, and then show them the the red white land you're taking. You're like discipline, baby. Mm-hmm. This is how we win. This is how we're able to, to win a game every once in a while. Like somewhat uh, somewhat related um, to both of you. Have you played the temples in cube? And if so, do you tend to play them only in two colors, or if it's only in one color, like say um, the red white temple in a red blue deck? I can't remember. Are they in the uh, in the magic in the legacy cube? I I don't know if they're in the legacy. They've been in the moto cube. I think they're if, in the if, legacy cube. If they have been, then I have played them, but I don't remember. Okay. Let me- yeah, I, uh, I I have not had a chance to play with temples. Yet okay. In cube. So um, unfortunately, I can't speak to that. There are so many other two-color lands that are, for me, uh, higher in quality of, you know, just coming into play untapped. Yeah, it's, that's it's a huge tough. deal. I, 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 that's, you know, the, the thing about cube is that since all the cards are so powerful, right, I mean, obviously card selection still matters, especially if you're digging for specific things. But a lot of the decks I play are just like these value decks where it's like, I look at the top card, it's like, yep, that card's awesome. <laughs> if I ship it to the bottom, hey, look, the one below it was awesome too. It's like, I don't really need to pay that tax because, like, in a regular game of limited, if you take, you know, those Scrylands are actually kind of important. And, you know, they were rare, so you didn't see them too often. But when you did, it was like you were often shipping away something that had either literal or no, almost no effect on the game mm-hmm. and getting yourself closer to something that did. But in a cube, I mean, there are obviously timing things where it's like, I could really use X right now. But the fact is that, you know, there's almost no spell in your deck, in a lot of your decks, that you wouldn't just want to draw anyway, you know? So, I don't know, I think they probably go down a bit when, especially when you're getting beaten down, you know, you're, or you're, you're, you know, your opponent is really applying some type of either direct or indirect pressure, and you're like, tap land go right like that is just uh i can't it just makes me shiver oh, i can't do oh, it there's no worse feeling than you know having the you know the, the three sweeper hand on four mana and you're like i need the fourth land then it comes into play tap. it's yeah. a colonnade yeah. i don't know i've been pretty happy with the t- i'm and trying them in the enemy lands and i've been pretty happy with them so far ish i i feel like i would be adding the i i guess for better lack of a better term buddy lands Oh. Uh, before I would be adding the temples. Those seem worse. Because I like lands that come into play untapped. What's a buddy like, land? It's so the so it's the original like M ten lands. Oh so, yeah, okay. Like, the, like one of these two types that comes into play untapped. Right, the and then they did Crags of the World. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then they did the uh the enemy cycle in Innistrad. Right. Just because I feel like, you know, obviously for the four and five color decks they're significantly worse. But I feel like the two and three color decks are probably going to be having one or other in play. So they're just untapped duels. I, I don't know. I don't include either of them in mine, but I, I feel like the untapped is coming to play tapped is such a high price to pay. 
Uh, and that's the direction I would lean. But, you know, that's just my opinion. So, can't say, you know, and maybe one of these days, like when I finish building this modern cube, we get to, we get to try stuff like that because while we're, we're down one cycle completely, you know, we don't get to play Tundra and Friends, so, you know, you have to look for alternatives. So maybe we'll, maybe I'll, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll be a convert. Maybe I'll come back this episode and be like, hey, Usman, remember when you said you like those lands better? You were right. Yeah, I'm saying that now. And, uh, I don't, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But speaking of somewhat of which, there was one question kind of related to the spoilers that are going out. I'm not going to talk about spoilers, but like if you, if Marshall, you see a card that you don't have experience with, Mm -hmm. and this kind of ties into what you said earlier about when you were starting cube and saw these like weird combinations and stuff you'd never seen before within the context now where you're more familiar with cube, if you see a card that you've never seen, like either, you know, a new card or a card you've never seen in cube, how do you tend to, for lack of better terms, evaluate it or grok it? I mean, obviously, there's no vanilla test for cube. I mean, there kind of is, like they're kind of analogs, but how do you tend to generally evaluate cards you've never seen before in cube if you see it in a cube? I have I have two different approaches, and this is uh, something that I've developed over uh, quite a long time. I think that your base approach should be try it. Just jump in and try the thing. It's one card in your deck. It's not a big deal if it doesn't work out. And uh, you'll have an advantage of knowing that before other people. But <clears throat> what I've realized, uh, you know, ha- after having played Magic for a while now, is that there's a even more fine-tuned version of just try it out, uh, which, again, is I think it should be your base stance. But I think going one step further, what I do now, <laughs> it's a little bit uh, exploitative maybe, but uh, I-, I think it's the best way to go. So... If it's a cool new card, and I'm not quite sure exactly how it's going to play out in the cube, and it fits uh, my style, if it's a card I just think is cool, if it fits into an archetype that I like to play, I'll try it. I'll take one for the team, and I'll go in there, and I'll give it a shot and see what it can do. Now, what I tend to do otherwise, and this is what I do more often in uh, regular draft as well, but I'll do this in cube too, is I will wait until somebody beats me with it. Or at least shows me this card's awesome and here's why. For example, if we opened up a crack a pack and I saw Rare Be Gone, I would read it and I would say, you know, I have no idea how good that card is. I don't know how many rares are, you know, I've never really paid attention to rarity as a card type when I'm playing in a cube. Like, oh, wow, he's got three rares in his hand and four on the board. It just, I've never thought of that, right? So and I'd have to reconsider it. So what I would do is I'm playing Anthony's cube over and over and when I get you know, beaten by rare be gone two or three times, where I look over at the game next to me and I see somebody go rare be gone. And the guy goes, Oh my God, you just blew up two of my lands, killed three of my creatures. And I had to discard three. I'm like, oh, mental check mark. Rare be gone <laughs> could be good, you know? And so <clears throat> what I'll do is I'm willing to get beaten by cards. I don't feel a need to rush in and be the first person to break or show how good a new card is. For me, <clears throat> you can show me like rare be gone me. Kill me with Rare Be Gone, right? Please. And when, or when a draft with Rare Be Gone is your sort of, you know, your highlight card. And then I'll, you'll get my attention and I'll get in there. And, you know, that's the thing that I tell listeners a lot of time too about uh, cards, like, cause we'll do the set review for a regular set. And I'll say, uh, I don't think this card's very good. And then maybe some people think it is because, you know, whatever, they're, they're BCSMing or whatever. And they're like, oh, this card's great. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't think it is, but we'll see. 
And then we play, and then I play 20 drafts and I never see the card picked. I watch some draft videos. Nobody ever picks it. Nobody ever plays it. And it looks like it's a non-factor, you know? And at that point, I feel, I don't feel the need to take a goblin slide and try to go off with it. Like, I'm like, you know what? Until that deck or card starts showing up and beating me consistently, I'm going to assume that it's not that good. And like I said, if it's one that I particularly would like to try, like, Let's say Kiora, right? I, I think Kiora is a cool planeswalker and I want to find out if it's good and it pops up in my cube draft. I'll take it. I'll go ahead and take it. And if it ends up being maybe not one of the best planeswalkers in the cube or maybe even not really worth four mana in a lot of scenarios, I can live with that. But I'll find that out for myself because I like the card. I think the card's cool and it fits into a lot of the type of decks that I like to play. But like I said, if it's a card that I'm just question marking on, like, like in this case, Rare Be Gone, I hadn't played. Um, back in the day, Root Awakening fit that bill for me too. I'm yeah, like, this a, is that card surprises a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. It's a show. It is definitely uh, a show me card. It is. Yeah, yeah. That kind of happened with Elishnorn. I remember Anthony oh, yeah. and I yes. were we were poo oh, yeah. that card, and we like when the card side. when the card got initially spoiled on the mothership, it was spoiled in Phyrexian, and I was like, whoa, look at this, and then it got spoiled in English. I was like, whoa, this. This card sucks, and then everybody their mother got really expensive. It's seven mana in white, and we already have a chroma. A chroma is awesome. And yeah, then I mean, like, but then oh, you yeah. see it, and it, you get played against, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is impossible!" Right, yeah, and and Rude Awakening was time. like that for me. It was like. I was like, this card costs infinite mana. I don't really, like, I can read it and see what it does, but like, do I really just win or is it a scenario where like the board stalled out and I can't actually kill my opponent? I'm just going to skip it, you know? And then occasionally my opponent would ramp out and be like, Rude Awakening, game's over. I'm like, oh, okay, well that ended the game. Next game, you know, they do it again. And then maybe down the line, I face the card again. And every time they resolve it, it wins. Now I'm a, critical player, right? I'm, I'm thinking in my head, well, how many times have I beat people where they're staring at stupid rude awakening in their hand because <clears throat> they can't get enough mana together to kill me with it? Um, you know, that's something that I have to keep in mind, but at least I checked the box in my head of, okay, if you can resolve this for full value, it does end the game most of the time. And that's something, that's what I needed to know, right? Because now I can know whether I'm in the market for a rude awakening card or not. Uh, when I'm drafting. And, and so that's how I learned, but I wasn't willing to do it myself because rude awakening doesn't really get me. I, I'm just like, yeah, whatever that card looks kind of cool, but it, I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to call my buddy and tell me, tell him how I paid a bunch of mana and won the game, you know? Um, but now it's definitely earned my respect as an example. And uh, I kind of do that with all the cards that I don't really quite know if they're going to be good or bad yet. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's a great answer. Hey, uh, let's let's since we're talking about uh, that sort of thing too, as far as seeing new cards, doing that kind of uh, evaluation of you know, show me if it's if it's what I like, I'll show you or I'll try it out. But if you can show you show me um, when it comes to archetype cards. So let's say we're opening. Uh, let's say we're you're drafting a cube um, and you see a pestermite. Mm-hmm. Or you see uh, 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 an exarch or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you are you comfortable at that point in wanting to take? I mean, and I personally, I think exarch is just a fine cube card in and of itself. I don't run one, but it's it's a perfectly reasonable card, especially anti aggro card. But uh, are you going to go ahead and assume 
in, in your opinion, what's your assumption of, well, are we going to see Splinter Twin? Are we going to see Kiki-Jiki? What are we going to see here? Can you take that? Do you personally take those in advance saying, okay, this is going to be something fun, and let's see if we get there? Should we mention who said that, by the way? The guy in the sure. LR. Oh, it Absolutely. was uh, Jag YR from the LR subreddit. LR cast, sorry. Oh, no worries. Yeah, so... So for me, when I sit down and I see one of those cards in the cube, uh, I'm usually conflicted because I, I will absolutely assume that the other combo pieces exist in the cube. But it puts me in a weird spot because we're in the middle of some pack. And now I look around and we're doing a six-person cube. And I'm looking at the cube box over there and it looks like about 800 cards <laughs> to start off with. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, well, if if there's anything else in this pack – that would be playable for sure, then it's not worth the risk. Because if I take this card and I don't get the combo piece, I actually agree with you, Anthony. I think that uh, like Exarch is is a, is a playable cube card in and of itself. There's actually quite a few cool interactions, but like Pestermite and like how many of those do you really want? And there's other uh, things like let's just say I get the Splinter Twin. Um, I'm not playing Splinter Twin unless I have – at least another combo piece. Um, I have value splinter twinned in my life. Um, it's not the worst case, but that is not what I want to be doing in cube. Like that's a backup plan, not a plan a to, you know, splinter mm. twin up my wall of omens or my snapcaster or whatever. Um, you know, that is a high risk kind of a, uh, low impact in the immediate sense play. So for me, it, you know, I, in my mind, I think not worth it. Um, you just don't know. Right now, there are some interesting ones that fit sort of in the corner cases, um, like Splinter Twin, kind of, but Kiki Jiki more so because you can really kind of value Kiki Jiki in in a, in a lot of different scenarios, and he's like at least a creature on his own too. Mm-hmm. Um, so those ones, I'm a little bit more willing to speculate on um, if, if I feel like there's at least some chance that I could just play this for value in my deck. Uh, the downside, of course, is that. It's entirely possible that the other combo pieces just will not be open in your draft, period, even if they were in the cube. And like I said, I do assume that they're in there. I mean, honestly, if, if there's a pestermite or something in, in a, in a powered cube or whatever, and I go up to the person and I say, so what are the other combo pieces? And they're like, oh, there aren't any. I'm just like, I'm done here. (laughs) I'm just throwing (laughs) your pestermite on the ground and I'm walking. Yeah. I mean, I I have a fairy tribal. (laughs) I, 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 I have a fairy tribal. (laughs) I yeah. actually won all the power in this cube from playing standard fairies. Yeah, you, so, didn't, you didn't see as the misbind click. Homage, <laughs> we're we're going to put that in there. Yeah, but you know, I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I do assume it, but I'm not usually willing to risk it just because it's too easy for the combo pieces not to have been open. You're just wasting a pick. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, uh, who was it that mentioned the railroady comment? It was Jay Bush. Um, okay, so yeah, Jay Bush, Bush. mentioned about uh, cards being railroady, and I, I think what I have here is. Uh, you know, wanting to be in a place where you have varied archetypes because I prefer personally, I don't like linears in cube draft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't like having to, what I, I put here, uh, having to Pokemon, <laughs> having to catch them all, right? I have to get all the Swamps Matters cards. I have to get all of this type of card or else I'm going to be left with, you know, nothing. Um, I, I never, never been a big, a big fan of those specifically, but, uh, oh, I certainly see God. a point about, uh, you know, Splinter Twin versus, I mean, Splinter Twin versus Kiki Jiki, I think, is a real good uh, parallel to draw. Because I'll probably take a Kiki Jiki. I mean, shoot, I'll I'll copy a Siege Gang Commander, or I'll copy a, you know, whatever. But Splinter Twin always feels way more dangerous to me. Yeah. Because I, I'm not, 
you know, I can't just attack with my splinter twin if, if the worst case scenario. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're hugely different. I mean, if you go for splinter twin on a creature and they kill the creature, you get two for one. If you go for kiki jiki on a creature and they kill the creature, you still have kiki jiki. <laughs> like, yeah, just- you know. If they kill a Kiki-Jiki, you still have your creature. It's just, uh, you know, it's a much more, I mean, it's obviously, uh, a, a, an order of magnitude more difficult to cast Kiki-Jiki than it is Splinter Twin. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. but still, it's like, you know, that's a, that's a combo that you can reuse and it demands an answer, uh, that doesn't necessarily, you know, leave you with nothing. Where if you go for Splinter Twin and you get two for one, like, it's bad enough in regular limited and cube, you're just not recovering from that very often. Yeah, you're just right. done. One thing on this topic, um, Marshall, have you played much Popper Cube before? Oh yes. Okay. I uh, love me some Popper Cube. If you dra- if say you drafted a Popper Cube and Anthony, I'm asking you this too. Say you're pick one, pack one. You open a pack, and you remember Gem Hide Sliver from Time Spiral? Sure. No. And it's our two mana, two mana Birds of Paradise, but it's a it's a one one sliver. Yeah, it gives oh, okay. the ability to all the other slivers. So you see that in pick one, pack one, and you see Gem Hide Sliver, and you see fourteen other whatever cards. Do you assume there are other slivers in that cube? I don't. I don't either. Okay. That's what happened. For me, it's just two mana birds of paradise, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. That, that's what one, I would assume. One utopia tree or whatever, you know? Yeah. That's what I would assume, too. I remember I had a pauper cube draft, and somebody drafted it kind of early, and they assumed that kind of base. They assumed there were other slivers, and, you know, there aren't because it's fine on its own. All the other slivers are terrible. But I guess that kind of. You know, I guess I can kind of go into that topic of assumptions where, you know, like other cards, like, say, Splinter Twin. I don't know. I've seen some cubes play Splinter Twin, but I've never really been super huge on it personally. I mean, hopefully they're not playing it without the combo pieces. I would assume that's, I mean, that's pre- uh, assuredly the only reason they're playing you have, it. Yeah. You have, what, four, com- are, are there four creature pieces? So it's uh, Exarch, Pestermite, Restoration Angel, and uh, Zealous Conscripts. Do we have any other ones? I don't think Resto works with Twin, though, right? Yeah, it doesn't. You oh, is that right? It works with Kiki-Jiki, right, but yeah. doesn't work with Twin. Right. right, okay. Yeah. So three and a half pieces for that sort of combo. Yeah, yeah. and then, like, does, does uh, what's that, remember the Bell? Oh, Bell, Village oh, Bell right. Village Bell Ringer. Bell Ringer. Yeah, that, that, that's just an awkward card, but you're yeah. right. That certainly is a combo piece on that. If you were, it maybe, maybe if you're Combo Cube. You know, you, yeah. you just get all the pieces in there, right? Right. So then, then it's on. I mean, obviously, you can make all the assumptions you want. <laughs> Village bell ringer, oh baby, <laughs> windmill. Yeah, here we go. We're in. <laughs> We're American. Although I have to say, if I saw a village bell ringer, I would absolutely assume that there was the combo. <laughs> what what else right. would it be doing there? You know, R- right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, I have a human tribal. Yeah, <laughs> or it's just like it's an all right creature on its own. Like, yeah. hey, this is a it's a horn turtle. I like this. Right. The, the guy with the tribal cube shows up again. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what we always go back to. It's a yeah. It's the tribal. It feels like it's a human something, like a human scout or something, or human something stupid. What is? I don't know, but we have we have a, we have another person who rings bells now too. But that card's actually good. That's true. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's. Yeah, you know, we're. I know we're picking your brain like crazy here, Marshall. So uh, that's what I'm here for. It is uh, a human scout, by the way. Yeah, human Sick scout. Read. Nice. Woo. All right. So I have to ask you. Uh, you said you are familiar with. Uh, you were familiar with World Knit. Um, have you had a chance to actually draft conspiracy in cube very much? No, not and at if all. So. Or if at all, no, not not once. No, man, 
I've never drafted a, a conspiracy in cube. I've drafted conspiracy the set. I don't know, three or four or five times even, but I never, the cubes that I've drafted haven't had it. My main cube experience, uh, since, uh, Conspiracy came out last year has just been online. I mean, I, I'll get in an occasional live cube draft, but I don't have like a regular cube draft that I do. So mm-hmm. sad right. face. Well, man, That's why I'm yeah, so jealous. For real. Make me one of these. You know, Marshall, like, aren't you in gotta... Seattle? Aren't there like, doesn't everybody and their mother have like a cube though? No, there, there's a quite a few floating around. It's just like my time is at a premium these days because I'm doing the whole podcasting and, and coverage thing and it ends up eating up most of it, especially sure. in the evenings when, when people would be cubing. Like if I really wanted, I could. And I had some friends before that had a cube and would have people over, but like they're not together anymore. And so like, yeah, uh-huh. it doesn't, it, it doesn't actually pop up as often as you'd think. Plus, Magic Online. That's true. Hey, uh, Usman, let's talk about uh, our conversation last night about how uh, right here it says, you know, how Usman and I were, were talking about uh, players, cube designers especially, uh, getting to this uh, frame of mind where they know this card is good and no matter how many times it doesn't win games or doesn't see play, nope, this card is good. This card is good no matter what. And, uh, do you think it's possible to actually convince people that cards and archetypes aren't viable with magic players being the nature of beasts that they are, which, you know, magic players, as we all know, hate being wrong. There is, I think there's a single group of subculture that hates being wrong more than magic players. Yeah, or like. loves being right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, absolutely. And, and with you guys, you know, your podcast specifically is, uh, I consider it an edu- it's definitely an educational podcast. For sure. Right. It's, I mean, certainly it's entertainment as well, but it's all about education and, it, and it's made really big. How have you found, uh, what is the, the difficulties and solutions to actually teaching magic players, teaching old dogs new tricks? Uh, you know, I think that you have to hit them with reality and you have to give them the tools to be able to see these things on their own. Uh, as you said, magic players don't like to be wrong and they love to be right. And, uh, you know, they also love hyperbole. Yeah. <clears throat> and they love unsubstantiated, <laughs> uh, claims. This card's a ridiculous bomb. Oh, really? Why? I, because I won a game with it yesterday. You know, yeah. it's like they, they, they obviously, they on, uh, often cannot back things up. And so what I found is that if you can give them an actual framework, to show them what a card, how a card actually performs using either tools or uh, a system or something like that, then you can kind of back them into their own corner where it's not you pressing them to say that the card's bad and admit it. It's them discovering it for themselves. And that's one of the only ways that they can, that it'll actually, it's kind of inception-y, you know, you're kind of like, you know, you're kind of like saying, look, I realize that me yelling at you and saying that you're wrong is not going to ever get you to admit that you're wrong. So here, here's some math or here's a a tool. Um, You know, one of the ones that we use a lot on limited resources is the quadrant theory. And it it kind of sums up a lot of the things that we talk about on LR in a nice way. It doesn't sum up everything, but it does sum up a lot of the concepts into one piece. And, you know, the quadrant theory basically says that we're going to break the game down into its four most common 
uh, states of development or, or stages of a game. And those would be the developing stage, uh, a stage where you are at parity with your opponent, a stage where you're behind your opponent, and a stage where you're ahead your, of your opponent. Those are like the four things that happen uh, every game. At, at one stage or another, uh, they don't all have to happen every game, but like there's always developing. That's when you're playing your lands and playing your early stuff. And then either somebody's ahead and somebody's behind, in which case those two are ticked, or people get into a standoff, in which case it's parody. And I think every, most people that play a lot of magic can conceptualize these game states pretty regularly, pretty readily. And what you can do is you can take a card that opponent, that somebody is saying is absolutely amazing, but you know what it really is? It's a win more card. It's one of those cards that's fantastic when you're winning and every other time it stinks. But mm. every time you resolve it, you win the game handily because you were winning the game handily and it does something impressive. And you can say, okay, so you're telling me that this card is fantastic and that you should always play it and it's one of the most broken cards in the cube. And I'm saying that I think it's a little bit more of like a win more type card. Let's put it on the scale. Okay. And so they do. So they look at it and they say, okay, well, in the developing stages, uh, this card's not very good. And that's fine. There's a lot of uh, big, big, powerful, uh, you know, late game spells that just aren't that good. Um, you know, you know, one we could put on this too, by the way, is like a card like Rude Awakening, right? I think that's a, a good example of a card like this. So mm-hmm. when you're developing, Rude Awakening doesn't really do anything. Fair enough. Sure. That's not what it's there for. Um, now, but when you go to the other stages, you could say, <clears throat> okay, so when you're ahead, is Rude Awakening good? Yes. I mean, it yeah, slams absolutely. the door on the game, and it does it in a pretty emphatic way, right? It was like, I was ahead, I was eking out a victory, and then you took 22 extra. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, it was absurd, right? And so, all of a sudden, you know, this is where your your best case scenario mentality guy is like, yeah, Rude Awakening, best card in the cube. And then you say, okay, well, what about when you're at parity? So there's kind of a board stall, right? Both players have a bunch of creatures laying out or can't really make a move. How good is Rude Awakening there? Well, it's going to vary, right? Rude Awakening is an interesting card that can be quite good there. Like it could be a a play where you just go for it. You just Rude Awakening and just move all in and and hope that you have enough damage to kill your opponent or they don't have enough removal to keep you from – from beating them. Now, this could be very risky, right? If they've got a bunch of blockers up, they block all your actual creatures, they kill a couple of your lands, or maybe they just block all your lands, kill a couple of your actual creatures, and you're left decimated with nothing, right? So it's okay in that spot because it can be one of the cards that can break uh, a parity situation, but it isn't necessarily that, right? Like compare this to something like Karn. Right now, Karn, when you're at parity, is ridiculous, right? You've got this huge planeswalker, you're hitting their hand, you're blowing up their stuff, and you're managing the board. That's a card that excels at parity. Rude Awakening is sometimes okay. And now you get to the big one. And make no mistake, the next one is the most important. It's when you're behind. And Rude Awakening when you're behind is not very good. Now, occasionally you will steal a victory that your opponent just got a little too aggressive and you're just like, whoop, 20 you, you know, and right. that, and that can happen. And, and rude awakening does get points for that. But in most scenarios, if you are being beaten down or if your opponent has six cards in hand and you have one and they're playing blue, black or whatever, your rude awakening is not the card that is going to get you from being behind to being even or from being behind to being ahead. And, you know, I think that when you break it down like that, for somebody who thinks that Rude Awakening is like the best card in the cube or is an absolute amazing first pick, never pass type card, they would have a hard time arguing against that, 
right? Going, okay, it's not good when you're developing. It's usually not good when you're behind. It's sometimes good when you're at parity and it's very good when you're ahead. And, and also I should mention that when you're ahead is the least important of the, of the, uh, Right, the because, quadrants. you know, a, a ham sandwich would probably be good enough yes. there if you're mm-hmm. significantly yes. enough ahead. As long as it wasn't a land, you're happy with any spell in the entire cube when you're ahead for the most part. So, you know, I think that that's the best way to sort of get people to be on a level where you're at. Because this is how I understand cards. When I look at cards, this is how I think about them. And if I want to have a reasonable conversation with somebody about a card, we both have to be on the same plane. Now, that doesn't mean we need to agree, right? Um, sure. Because, yeah. you know, there's curveballs with cards like Rude Awakening. Like, you can right, use it to untap all your lands and make a bunch of mana. It's like, whoa, that's totally different. And, and it's, Right. Or know. how many times, you know, like I said, you know, earlier in this podcast, I said, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm going, I am untapping and winning this game next turn. The only thing they could possibly have here is a yeah. Amber Dead. Yes. You know, and where, you know, you're in the, the mid-range, you're against the mid-range deck, or you're a control deck, you know, and you're both on low cards in hand. You know, you don't have counter spells, but I have this Sphinx that you can't target, and I have this Dragon or whatever, and yeah, you're dead next turn because I have these two finishers. And they're like, well, here's 11 tutus. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, well, okay then. <laughs> yes, and, and that's really dead, important. You know? Yeah, and that's really, really important to note. Because that's one of the best things about Root Awakening. And, you know, like, again, I, I think, because, like, I think Root Awakening is a very good card. I think it's a, a solid place to dump a bunch of mana, and it can do some really cool stuff uh, if you're trying to, like, storm off or whatever as well. And, right. you know, these are things that, that all add value to Root Awakening. But I would not agree with the person who came up and said that they thought it was one of the best cards in the cube and that it was a card you couldn't pass. I don't think it's that. I think you can pass it. And I don't think it's one of the best cards in the cube. I just think it's a good card like many cards in the cube. And like I said, the, the main thing that would end up happening from that conversation is I can't really have a rational conversation with the person who feels like Root Awakening is one of the best cards. But if I can give them the quadrant theory and if I can say, okay, you put this on the quadrant test and you tell me honestly, right, where this fits on each of these categories. And if that person is reasonable and says, okay, I'm going to do that. And they come to even somewhere in the ballpark of the same conclusions that I did. Now we can talk because, you know, maybe that person values um, the, the big finisher more than I do. Right. Cause I don't put a lot of stock in that. Like you said, I, a ham sandwich would do just fine in most scenarios where you're way ahead. Uh, you know, maybe that person, um, has drafted exclusively mana ramp decks in the cube. And that just seems to be the only thing that they ever do is they just draft green mana ramp all the time. Well, you could see why they'd think that Rude Awakening was, you know, particularly absurd. Right. Sure, right. Uh, this is the only deck I ever win with. So yeah. is when I have these green ramp decks and this is. Right. One of the great cards in my deck. Right. And, and you know, a, a, one of the big traps that people fall for that the tools that we talk about on the podcast try to help get you out of is so when you play – like let's say that you're in that scenario that you described, Anthony, where you've got your two big blue flying finishers and, and your opponent's at six and you're about to kill them the next turn and there's really nothing that can get them out of it except for Rude Awakening. They play it. They kill you. That feels inordinately good to them. I right. mean, that, yeah, that like, is a rush, right? Like fog. It's like fog, right? It's best case scenario. It's like, oh my God. Like, and, <laughs> and, and look, you should give Root Awakening credit. There are very few, if any other cards that might have won you the game in that spot. So it does get, you know, bonus points for that. But the feeling you get 
isn't relative to the game win. The game win's still just a game win, whether, you know, your opponent got mana screwed or whether you curved out with creatures and had a couple of removal spells and beat them or whether you comboed off on turn five with your crazy cube deck. You know, no matter how good you feel about any of those wins, they're all still just wins. And it's hard to take that away from somebody who, again, is playing the Rude Awakening and steals a victory when they weren't uh, slated to get one with any other card. And they'll often overcompensate by thinking that Rude Awakening is especially good. Uh, and, and I don't mean to pick on Rude Awakening. It's just an example that I, no, that but, I it's chose. A, but, but it's a fine card to pick on because yeah. it is a, can, uh, certainly a, a card that has a lot of discussion surrounding it in, in cube as it's just a card we want to run or not want to run. Uh, a lot of this feels, uh, analogous to poker as well, right? There's the, you know, the quote that you hear everybody talk about from, from movies, which is, you know, you don't remember all the hands you won, but you remember that, you know, all the, all the bad beats you remember very, mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. well, magic players, I think it's almost the opposite. Uh, yes. you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, all this time, but they're, they're willing to tell, you know, everybody's got a million bad beat stories, you know, and everybody's tired of hearing them. But oh man, this time I beat this guy with Rude Awakening. Yes. He had all this stuff and you know, they that one win, it's still just one game win counts more than other game wins or game losses, yes. right? And, the, yeah. and, their, and that, that's worth yes. like three matches. It's worth nine match points instead of one game in a match. Right. You know? In their head and, and then they and, and and from that moment forward they improperly deduce that Rude Awakening is an absurd magic card. Yeah. You know that's why and that's the hard like, part. Go ahead. I was gonna say like I not the term like results based thinking or results or being, you know, rotty, I tend to call, I, or I tend to use the term like anic, either result based thinking because it's really based on one result or anecdote based thinking, mm-hmm. which is the term I tend to use. Like, cause it's really they're basing it on a single anecdote and not basing it on the overall spectrum of the, how the card works out. Right. And, th- and, that, and that's that's the main thing, right, is that a good player and a good card evaluator will have a reasonable sense for how the card is going to perform on average in different scenarios, not just how it performs when it's at its absolute best. Yeah, like, uh, you know, like on LR, I don't know if you guys still pick on Fog as much, but I remember. Oh, yeah. Back on, back, I remember back in the day, um, you know, people who would be like, wow, Fog is so good. Like, I remember um, there was this one guy. You know, we did like a flashback draft to MD5, Mirrodin, Darksteel, Fifth Dawn. Uh-huh. And he had three Nourish in his deck. It was like double green, instant gain seven. That card's trash. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, it's it's really bad. And he, you know, b- before the draft, you know, granted, you know, most people were unfamiliar with the set. Um, but a lot of people were telling him, take this card, take this, you should not be running one version, you know, one copy, let alone three. And he's like, no, no, it's really good. It's really good. And then the next round, I think people were saying, hey, I don't, I think I was saying, I think you should be taking this out. He's like, he got really defensive about it. And he was like, no, this uh, won me a game. Yeah. So it's really good. It's like I had this uh, set, whatever, whatever the emissary of despair or some, some creature that was dealing a decent amount of damage. And he said, if it wasn't for the nourish, if it wasn't for the nourishes, I would have lost, but I won. And it's like, okay. A, since you're being defensive, you're not really listening. Yeah. <laughs> is that really worth my time? And B, that, you know, again, you're just basing it on that one anecdote, not necessarily taking the entire spectrum, like, you know, it being atrocious on parody or, you know, with those kind of scenarios. Right. Hey, can I take a moment to complain? I'm taking a moment to complain here. 
related story, speaking of fog, every time you guys say fog, I have like flashbacks and I start twitching. Uh, Pro Tour Austin, I don't know, five, six years ago, um, the, the Brian Kibler incident and all that good stuff, playing at a PTQ at that event, and I, I'm like 4-0 or something in the event, and I, I am, it's game three and I have lethal on board, and I still have like creatures in hand or whatever, and I'm like attack, and he's like, I believe it was Zendikar time, and he's like, tangle sap. And I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, like, sure, no big deal. So the next turn, do it again. I'm like, attack for Lee. You know, he cracks back for like three or four. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Here they come again. He's like, tangle sap. I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, that's kind of annoying. Like, and then he cracks me back for like five or whatever. And I'm like, all right, here we go again. I'm like, you know, play another creature. I'm like, hang the attack. You tangle sap number three. And I'm like, what? are we? Is that what is happening here? And then, you know, like plays a haste creature and like does something else and like kills me the next turn. I'm like, oh my God. That really just happened. See, tangle sap. So irate. Tangle sap, tang- first pick, not close. X, I got 3x tangle sap. Wow, that's I'm just like I just sat there like, you know, assigned the slip and left. And I'm just like sitting there stunned. And then proceed to like, you know, die on turn four of the next two games, my next match, and I'm out of the PTQ. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, this all happened because of fog. Yeah, that's unreal. Stupid <laughs> fog. Hate fog. God. First pick, not close. God, strictly better than like to the point you know it's one of those where I'm just like oh this is the fog variant yeah nice nice card you know idiot attack again second one okay sure that's annoying who cares oh we're, oh I see. <laughs> Third one. oh and hey oh so I'm de- dead right yeah okay well that was awesome I'm glad I uh, glad we played that was fun so fogs God stupid fog. <laughs> All right, let's see here. We we got some questions from some listeners, and I think there's still some good ones. We we've talked a lot about uh, what they have too, and we'll get into some more of the outside uh, the box uh, questions here in a minute. Um, but I there's one down here which I thought was really good, uh, which was a recent addition, and that was uh, what cards would Marshall rate as a D or F relative to cube power on his podcast that he thinks ends up in cubes. That's from hmm. uh, Joe Stewart. That's have you, interesting. Do you have any examples of that? So cards that I would give a D on the podcast, but that end up making it into cubes. So D's, D's and F's on the show, F's are unplayables, and D's are usually cards that you would rather not play but will sometimes end up playing. Hmm. So I can't imagine that any D's would make it into a cube. I can't imagine that some F's could make it into the cube, um, though. So, like, here's an example. Um, if we go way back to – what's that? Door to nothingness, perhaps? No, because that's not making it into the cube, right? I mean, I play one because of uh, – Oh, wait, wait, Adam. door to nothing. Sorry, I thought you meant one with target nothing. Play- oh, no. Target player loses the game, but it, <laughs> it costs all the colors. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Per- that's a great example. Yeah, something like that. You know, the one that came to my mind – it hmm. would be a card like Emrakul. Like, Emrakul oh, would get an F. You, you're just never casting an Emrakul in any, you know, feasible game of limited. It's just going to rot in your hand until you're dead. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you want to try to be flashy and take a picture for Twitter, go for it. But like, if you're <laughs> trying to, you know, win a GP or something, do not draft Emrakul, right? right? And that's the kind of card I would give an F in a heartbeat. Yet, makes it into quite a few cubes, you know? So I think that would be one place to look for sure are incredibly expensive, Spells that you're just never resolving and in, in limited, but that, you know, in cube, you have other ways to cheat them in. Um, mm-hmm. Other cards that would jump to mind would be cards that are very narrow, 
right? Um, you know, cards that serve a, a specific purpose, you know, for comboing out or whatever, um, other cards that like the main thing is, is castability, right? Like you can earn an F by being progenitus, right? You know, yeah. yet, you know, there are cubes that run progenitus, you know, well, sure, cause it only costs four mana and the sacrifice a green creature. That's right. Progenitus. It's easy. Turn three, no <laughs> problem. Right. And, right. you know, but in, but in, uh, you know, but in regular limited, you're not casting a progenitus, for example. And so, you know, I think that those are the ones to really focus on. Um, you know, like I said, the cards that we give to D's, they're just like crappy regular limited cards. Like they are just not making the cut in a, in a cube. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the bar is so high for cube. It is right. really, really difficult, uh, to, you know, to justify, uh, playing that. I mean, and, and other cards that we give F's are, are either are highly conditional, uh, or they're just very, very bad. And those ones are never making it. The conditional ones might, and the really expensive or difficult to cast ones will, that you can cheat the mana cost on. Right, right. That you can find a way around mm-hmm. what this, you find a way around the hoops you have to jump through yeah. in order to play these cards in regular limited. Yeah, I mean, Emrakul's a card I would like to have on the battlefield. <laughs> it's just a very tall order to make that happen. Right, right. Kind of tangentially related. Are there any cards that you tend to see in cubes? You're like, this card sucks. Oh, totally. There's tons of cards in 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 a lot of cubes that I think are mediocre, uh, especially ones that are holdouts uh, or holdovers, I should say, from from uh, the past. You know, where I don't have a romantic attachment to a sure. lot of the older cards, and but but many many people that cube do. So they, they earn that cut. You know, they talk about it for, um, for finance. They call it like price memory or whatever, where a card, even though there's no demand for it, uh, it seems to keep this high price just because people are like, well, that card's a $20 card or that stock's worth $50 a share, even though like in reality, nobody's paying $50 for it. It can take a really long time to adjust. And there's definitely some cards that people consistently run in cube where I look at it and I'm just like, nobody plays this. Like, this is not a, like, I get that this card was iconic or used to be really good, but now it's not. And it's just not a thing. I see those all the time. And I think that's just a perspective thing because, you know, I came back to the game, uh, a lot later and, and a lot of those cards, um, never hit me, you know, on any kind of nostalgia, emotional level or whatever. And, uh, and frankly, the cards that they come out with now, <laughs> I mean, they're just better. Like they're just more powerful oh, yeah. in, Especially in so creatures. many cases. Yeah. I that's... love o- opening old booster packs. Like you go to like a flea market or whatever. Right. And you, you know, I, I've been playing consistently since alliances pretty much. And, you know, I'll open, I'll open a pack of, you know, I don't know, Mirage or something, you know, it's cause it's like a dollar fifty. And I'll open it up and I'll look at these cards and I'm like, I'll open like a hammer of Bogard and be like, oh man, this card is awesome. This card is, oh, uh, this card's really slow now. This yeah. yeah. Not that good. You know, it's all, all those memories. I'm like, this is awesomely mm. slow by today's standards, you know? Yeah, like, that was my It's a big difference. And I'm a, and, and I'm a nostalgia guy for Cube, you know, they're, uh, with other things being equal, nostalgia is going to win for me every time. Like if I have to play a green one drop and it's between uh, Basking Rootwalla and Twin Blade Slasher, mm. I'm playing Basking Rootwalla because <laughs> of you know the fact that it's been in you know two of the the better decks in history. You know that's that's not a close one for me. You know I don't I don't I'm not into pointy ears that much where that's that's a hard decision. Or I, I always use Rurix over uh, Hellkite Charger. 
as, as another example. Like I'm, I'm going with Rorix. That card's got some, some, some good memories and stuff like that. And let's be honest, if you're attacking twice with your dragon, there's probably should just be dead anyway. Right. Yeah, just dead. <laughs> Unless you're planning on drawing it when you have 11 mana in play, I guess. You yep. know, to be able to, to do to do it that turn, but you know, for me those are easy decisions, but I have had to make some some tough cuts recently and things I said I would never do, I have done in favor of trying to create a better play environment. You know, I I, I once said that never shall I cut a creature from the cube who used to be the uh belt, you know, the title belt holder for best creature in magic. Massacre? Uh. Uh, wild, wild mongrel oh, is currently yeah. out of my cube. That's At fine. one point in time, that card was the the title holder for, you know, best card magic. Uh, obviously, you know, quite related to the fact that, oh man, you could play three mana four fours and free one ones that become three threes. Yeah, and then flash. mirror enforcer came out, and you're like, oh, that's just an actual free four four. Yeah, <laughs> like, huh. maybe this other one's not as good as it used to be. So. Uh, certainly that, that has a, a, a lot of that thing. Um, here, here's another question. I do like this question as well. Um, and that's, uh, someone, uh, said they are an avid, uh, this is hi GL. And he says, hi Usman, I'm an avid LR and T3P listener and enjoy both booster draft and cube. Although I much prefer cube. Good man. I would enjoy some discussion about how cards perform in regular limited versus constructed versus cube. Mainly what makes an excellent cube card. And then this part, which I really like, why do some cards perform far better in cube than they ever did or do in limited and constructed? Oh, that's a good question. I like that. Now, uh, we, we talk a lot, you know, there, there's always a lot of, of talk of uh, causation versus correlation. Uh, if a card is good in standard does, or, or a constructed, does that make it a good cube card? If a card is good in limited, does that make it a cube card? Which way does that street run if both directions, one direction or the other. Um, while you kind of think about that, for, for me, I don't want to put, I just, for me, for a cube, I don't want to put cards in my cube that nobody knows what they do because they were never good in constructed or limited. You know? Uh, Usman, what's that red card uh, from Masks Block that everybody likes to play um, where you, like, tap creatures to do, not Kieran Negotiations, but there's another one. Uh, not fervor. I can't remember the name of it, but it's one of these like obscure cards that somebody found and everybody jumped on board with. Right, there was think... rivalry, but that was rivalry. That's the card I think I'm thinking of. That was in Ma- that was in Urza Saga. Was... Okay, sorry. So that's uh, all right. Off, off by a off by a block. <laughs> I knew um, I knew you weren't going to stump Usman. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Oh, speaking he, oh, of he which, knows. He, he knew he, what I was. He talking. is encyclopedic sure. about that stuff. I don't know how either. Oh, speaking of which, um, I was going to say, Marshall, remember how you're talking about, earlier about uh price memory and some cards just like don't go down in price no matter what mm-hmm. um i'm gonna do an over and under because the first card i immediately thought of was juzamjin mm-hmm. all right over and now i'm just gonna say guess the median price on tcg uh, tcg mid i mean this is a different one because it's collectible like it's people don't want to play with it as much as just own one uh i would mm-hmm. give it at uh what 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 edition are you looking at it's a Arabian Nights. Oh, of course. It only it's only Arabian oh, Nights. Only one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say three hundred and fifty. No, Anthony. Uh two twenty five. Oh wow. It's only hundred and eighty six. Oh wow. Only hundred. Yeah, it actually does feel low. 
yeah. for an iconic sure. uh, collectible card that wasn't printed that much. That's yeah. that feels a little low. And Plague Sliver is like bulk rare. It's like a dollar. <laughs> yeah, it's a, probably less than it's probably like thirty cents. Yeah. Uh, but, but going back to the question, yeah, yeah about what makes an excellent cube card and why it sometimes is different um, from how they did in limited and constructed. I, that's a really, I, I love that question. Um, you know, the, the the one thing that stands out for me is that in cube it needs to stand alone. It it, it doesn't like in in constructed you you get to play four of a card, and that means that you know you can reliably have one copy of that card and sometimes even two you know during the course of a of a game of of constructed and when you're talking about cube it it needs to be good on its own and when you build constructed decks they're highly highly synergistic all the good ones most of the good ones are you know very very much depending on the other cards around them which means that cards that don't even look that amazing can all of a sudden jump up and become very, very good cards. Um, cards, you know, we saw from last standard, like, uh, Frostburn Weird, for example. That, that, that card is not cubable, uh, at least not in a powered cube and probably not even in a popper cube. But all of a sudden, in a blue devotion strategy for constructed, you had four of those and it gave you four or two, you know, blue mana symbols to count t- towards your devotion and it did just enough on the ground to make it totally worthwhile. Yet you wouldn't play that card in the cube very often because you're not going to get that strategy very often. There's only right. going to be zero or one Thassas floating around and zero or one Master of Waves floating around. And so the, there's a lot more pressure on cards in cube to stand on their own, to be good just because they're good. And that's a challenge that you guys face as cube designers. You, you know, you two is that you have to try to make things synergistic, but where it doesn't have to be synergistic. And that's, that's quite difficult to do. I don't, you know, I've never designed my own cube and I don't envy you guys. I know you guys love it. Uh, but for me, I just like, I get overwhelmed too quickly and I'm just like, I don't know what the hell to do here. And you know, it's like, when you take cards that were good and limited and good and constructed, they were probably good because they were synergistic. And the cards that you guys pick, uh, if they're going to be synergistic, they have to be broadly synergistic or you have to pick cards that just aren't. And that's why you'll see cards that are like absolute all-stars and constructed and see tons and tons of play just not even get a whiff on cube because they don't always have their friends with them. And they're only really good if they've got their friends with them. And uh, and that's also why you'll sometimes see cards that will pop up in cube that you don't see do well in limited and sometimes even constructed just simply for the fact that they shine so hard on their own. But for whatever reason, they never had uh, the proper environment to really be great in their constructed or limited counterparts. And uh, it's a totally different lens uh, putting it on our cube than it is for, for constructed or even regular limited. Right. These cards have to be good enough that you want to play them on their own, but also that they, they, they play well with others. Too, and a know? lot of different others too, right? Like you guys try to really keep that broad with your cube design. And that, I think that's the biggest challenge is that you want to play a card that's good on its own and good with this subset of cards, this subset of cards, and that subset of cards too. And that not every card fits that description. Right. And, you know, and you certainly wind up with some that just have to, you know, they're, they're space, space filler is, is a, is a bit of a negative word, but we need, uh, you know, a, a number of this kind of card in order to make things work. Right. You know, in order to not get into the, the, the dragon cube mid range slugfests. Right. Um, there needs to be a certain threshold of 
two power one drops and three power two drops. And, you know, there are certainly cards that look, you know, not super impressive. But once again, you know, it's in context and, and can we cast it? You're seeing a lot of, uh, in cube recently, you're seeing a lot of moving away from the CC two drop. You're seeing a lot of, now that there are lots of 1C cards coming out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the knights, you know, the the white, white knights, you know, they're few and far between because we're getting cards that are one, you know, that are just as big or bigger that are one in a white. Why would I play this other one, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, we I, got a whole cycle of metamorphs or, or megamorphs or whatever. Right. Yeah, we're just getting a lot more now. But it was before, it was just kind of like, well, let's run Night of the Meadow Green because... Needs more two drops, right? Because this is right. This is what we need to do. So, so that's I think part of the excitement about building cube is that you get to find these these weak links and you get to go, ooh, this card is more fun, more exciting, more efficient than this previous placeholder. So we get to put this in instead. You know, maybe instead of playing the two two rando first strike knight, we get to play uh, imposing sovereign. You know, where yeah, it's a two two, but it's easier to cast and. We don't have first strike, but wait a second, all our guys coming to play tapped. You know, this is this is something cool. This is more exciting, and I can see how this would work in a lot of different decks. Right. You know, Usman and I were talking a little bit last night about uh, are there cube cards that have never been good in constructed or limited? And that was that was hard. That, that was that was that that really haven't seen play in any, and that was hard. And I what did was you come up with any? Eureka um, was one of them. Yeah, Eureka. Because like mainly a casual card that, but even then, you know. Hypergenesis saw a lot of play, so there is an uh, an analog. There is, you know, a parallel to that one um, of that type of effect. But Eureka is something that sees play, and some of the one drops, right, as well. Like uh, Elite I mean, Vanguard like never Elite made Vanguard, it. yeah, you know, that, right. Never really featured. I mean, the thing is, Savannah Lions was good back in the day. Yeah, in your old uh, uh, Army of Allah deck, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I, I mean, that's kind of like Elite Vanguard, but specifically not Elite Vanguard. Yeah, and people have played those in limited, you know, here or there. But they've been right. They've but they're not like, like, oh yeah, we're doing this one, you know. Yeah, it, no. I think Cube is a special kind of limited where you want one drops a lot. Mm. You know, there's I, I, I very rarely remember wanting a lot of one drops in my in my booster draft decks. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah like Zendikar. It feels like there was a core set where you wanted. Elite Vanguard, kind of. It felt like one of the more recent M sets, but I forget which one. But yeah, like Zendikar was probably the exception to the rule. Most of the time, it's just mid range, especially like cons. That's you know pretty big mid range slugfest. Yeah. So if you if you guys listen and think of one, hit us up with it and let us know. I think I think Elite Vanguard and uh, Chaos uh, Warp, like the EDH the- cards, were some of them. Mm-hmm. Like Chaos Warp was one of the ones. Right, just because it doesn't get a shot, really. And I and I think, I, what did I qualify it with? I said, okay, that at one point was standard legal. So a card that was not good, that was standard legal, that was not good in constructed or limited. Because we get a lot of really neat cards now, like the commander cards or the plane chase cards or whatever, like uh, that just would never see play. Like something like Hallowed Spirit Keeper. You know, they, there's no place for that card in any sort of constructed, really. Um, but it just never got a chance to, if, if that card were in standard, card would probably be pretty good, you know? Yeah, it was kind of like Hornet Queen before, 
I got right. Yeah, Horde Queens it was like, before it came in, and Usman and I were like, "Horde Queens really good, everybody. You should play this card. I <laughs> swear, it's really, really good. I can't believe it's in standard. It's really good." <laughs> and then after a while, it's like, "Hey, here's all the Horde Queens." Yay. Well, it, it kind of happened though with Pack Rat. I, I don't remember. I think you oh, might yeah. not have been on board, but I remember being like, "This card's stupid. This card's really, really stupid." Except for and, it was really good and limited, though. That's yeah. the thing. It was it was like turn two Pack Rat and answer question mark. Yeah, hope you have Mizzy Mortars. GG. Uh, yeah, or not, you lose. But I think a lot, for a lot, most part, everybody just kind of discounted it for constructed, and then, that oops, and then hey, gray, gray, gray merchant or whatever. All right, let's get into uh, we're uh, we're winding down the clock here, so let's get into some uh, speed round questions for for Marshall and for Usman. I'll MC a little bit, um, but real quick before one last question, the kind of. Uh, just an opinion question, Marshall. Uh, uh, AZCZ here asked, what non-standard cube would you most like to try? For example, split card cube, one drop cube, combo cube, mere servitor cube, junk rare, multi-card. Ooh, I already know. What? Yeah, tell, tell us. The one that I would like to try is there's a mono blue cube uh, that oh, yeah. one uh. of the guys at Wizards, Garth, uh, was working on, I believe. And uh, apparently it's a real thing, and I want to try that. I've also heard that there's a one-drop cube. I've never played that. Um, that that kind of interests Glenn me. Jones but I has one. who in does? Area? Glenn Jones recently moved to Seattle. Oh, Glenn has one. Interesting. Yeah, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Is, I think Glenn was the personal guy who really pushed it. The one-drop cube. Yeah, so, I might, I might yeah. be interested in trying that out. The other one that still has completely blown my mind to this day is the split card cube. I yeah. I just I remember <laughs> you guys talking about it. I just like I still can't. I can't imagine that, that anything more awesome than that. I'd love to try that. Um, but I think number one, I want to try the mono blue cube. I mean, if sometimes it feels like when you cube, everybody's fighting for blue anyway. So I kind of like the idea of just letting us all have it. <laughs> yeah. Game on. I, I remember, uh, actually a friend of mine from Tucson, uh, goes by, I think it's, uh, Toku T O K U N J on Twitter. Um, has, was a mono blue cube developer way, way back. And people asking about it, so I wonder if it, if that's related or if it's parallel Genesis. But I uh, never got a chance to play it. But it was uh, had lots of tribal interactions. Since we go back to the tribal uh, tribal cube, ah, had, nice. definitely had like a wizard's theme, a merfolk theme, a fairy theme. So had lots of uh, had lots of crossover there too, because there, as it turns out, there are lots of fairy merfolk wizards. You know, yeah, mixing those three. All right. What? So speed round here. You have anything else uh, you want to get to, Usman? Before uh, on that question, I don't know how long we can really expound on this because we're kind of wrapping it up. On that idea, when Marsh, uh, when uh, Anthony was saying like it's got a theme, Marshall, when you tend to hear that from a cube designer, how much credence do you tend to give? Like if someone's like, "Hey, Storm's really good in my cube," and this kind of goes back to like what pr- the designer believes versus reality. If someone's like, "Hey, I think this is really good," or "Hey, this is really good," a how much credence do you give to it before? And I guess if it doesn't really, you don't really see it do anything, do you kind of do the same thing where it's kind of like, show me if this is good? Yeah, no, I, I actually don't give it that much. And I probably should, but I, I already, I can just, I'm just being honest. Like when somebody says, blah, 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 is really good in my cube. Like to me, uh, that just means that somebody else wants it more than me. And it's probably that person's favorite deck. <laughs> so That's I'm fair. just like, I don't care. I'm going to take the cards that are sweet and opened and that I want to play. I'm not, you know, like... What's I don't really like if somebody comes up to me before they draft their cube and says Storm's really sweet in my cube I'm not drafting Storm, yeah like, they know that. <laughs> Give me right? the jellyfish. Yeah, I'm just like that. That to me it just doesn't really add up. That 
I, I don't necessarily a want to know, and b I, if if somebody tells me that it's public knowledge that one of the decks is the best, then I'm not going to be one of the people fighting for it. that. Goes directly against my whole strategy with draft, which is to take the cards that other people aren't. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there's this one shining archetype at the top makes me probably less likely to try to draft it. That may not necessarily even be the case. That it may be just, just be what wrong. they think. Yeah. It's like, wow, look at Storm in this cube, and it's just trash. It's like, all right. Right. My, my uh, human tribal deck with Bellringer is the best. Oh, what about <laughs> the Scout Tribal? Scout I, play, uh, I play turn one, Champion of the Parish, every single game. Oh, yeah, have human tribal is awesome. Can't beat it. All right, so uh, speed around here. Uh, let's let's go, and I'll ask you guys, and then I'll uh, I'll chime in as well. Uh, what's the most common mistake you think people make when drafting cube? Uh, should I go first, Usman? Or yeah. Most common mistake people make when drafting cube. Uh, I think it goes back to the, the to before. I think that they don't stay open enough. Yeah, kind okay. of similar. They get married to their first picks or their ideas sometimes. Like sometimes they may think, "Oh, this card's really really good," and then just ignore everything else. But yeah, kind of getting married. Mine is not drafting your lands highly enough. Not yeah. drafting your fix highly enough. Mm. Uh, what do you think is the most common mistake when building your deck in a cube draft? Hmm. Most common mistake when building the deck. I don't know. I think it's just like most of the normal things. I mean, by the time you're building your deck, most of your mistakes have been made. Uh, I mean, <laughs> mistakes you, you, were made. Yeah, like you look at it, you're like, oh crap, I forgot to draw lands, or my curve is terrible. Uh, you know, I think that probably the, the biggest mistake that I see with cube because it's such a sort of a magical Christmas land of awesome is is discipline, it, not just cutting the cards that need to be cut. Yes, that card might be awesome, but no, you're not casting it very often. Get it out of there. You know, you know you're not splashing for this triple blue card. I'm sorry. Uh, I think that you definitely see people try to get lax because their eyes get big about, oh my God, I could have this card and that card and this card. And it's like, back here in reality, you're not ever casting those. So you need to be a little more tough on yourself about, you know, narrowing down what you're actually going to play. Yeah, you ain't splashing cryptic command, sorry. Right. Yeah, and I, w- I would agree. That's for me, and that's something I have to keep discipline myself is, yes, I know you drafted that card early. Yes, I know that card's awesome. But no, you are never casting that card when you want to cast it with your mana base. So get it yeah. out. I'd say for mine is they build a pile of cards, not a deck. Like they don't understand. It's just like a pile of cards like, oh, this card does this. This card does this. And the cards may be fine on their own, but there's no cohesion. It's not a deck. It's just like a pile of cards. And I see that happen way more than I should. Well, that's the rock deck, right? The green black deck often is pile O cards. I, I don't even know if it's necessarily that because sometimes they can have a natural theme of two for wanting sometimes. But even like it, the deck has no plan or it's just like there's no real discipline. And I guess it kind of goes to that idea too. It's just like here's a pile of cards, blah. Or like, the, like a, say a deck with no real removal or something or you know, no good curve or something, or there's just a pile of cards, which objectively may be a fine pile of cards, but it just doesn't, it's not a good deck. All right. F- favorite version of the cube. Favorite oh, mine is, uh, what's it called? Uh, popper, like non rare, or if there are rares, nothing too crazy. Like, you know, rare, like basically I like, uh, calling down a limited format into something really exceptional. Um, but still making you work for it a little bit. Um, you know, kind of a value 
value-oriented uh, type cube. I like those ones. Uh, junk rare cube, because it's funniest. Oh my god, that might be my least favorite. It was the most trouble I've ever had playing Magic in my life. Well, I remember like, there was there was you were having there was some other stuff going on when you were drafting and you're you're quite unhappy. Oh my god, it was and the then, worst. I was, was like, the worst. this is the best thing ever. All right, favorite cube archetype. Oh, that's not close for me. Uh, Blue black tempo. Yeah, I was gonna. That's say all that I that ever want to do in cube. <laughs> I'm so mad because the legacy cube is basically taken that away now on magic online and it wasn't even that great uh before but basically the strategy is you get to play take all the cheap counter spells bounce and hand disruption and then you get to wheel all of the two powered one drops in black and then and so you know you're playing all your stupid carnophages and stuff like that and uh and then you get to untap with like maybe four power up with you know three counter spells and a bounce spell in your hand, and you just go man or their guy back, hit him for four. They go to replay it. You counter it on the way down, hit him for six, and all of a sudden they've got like a turn that they have that they're trying to do something. They stick a threat, and you Venser Shaper Savanted back to their hand and, and just ranch them. That that's what I want to <laughs> be doing. Is uh, that's really all I actually want to do ever forever. Um, but cube is is my favorite place to do it. God, I love it. I feel like I like Venser and Resto Angel way more than most people. Except for maybe you, Marshall. Except for me. Yeah, we're probably on the same. Right, uh, on, favorite card, favorite cube archetype. Blue-white tempo or blue-red tempo? Probably blue-red because I like attacking with red two-power um, two creatures. And kind of the same, I like the cheap counterspell slash bounce. But, I don't know. I tend to like... Tempo. Yeah, good old tempo or just like aggressive strategies. But, yeah, I think white-blue, I think... I don't know. Rail Master's so good. All right, is it? Is it aggro? <laughs> there you go. Right. I, I'm a horrible person. My my two favorite ones are the uh, the Boros Fun Police deck because I <laughs> yeah. love I I love nothing more than on the play playing turn one reckless weight pass and just hearing them groan. <laughs> Ugh. Land go yes. <laughs> Turn to Talia. <laughs> By the way, that waif might be one of the ones that fits your criteria from earlier. Ooh, yeah. you're right about that. Yeah, it was Is never, it... never, never really amazing in uh, in limited. Dude, werewolf tribal. We had a, we had a local guy uh, win a uh, win an IQ with a uh, werewolf tribal deck. Yeah, what? you could do it. It, it just <laughs> oh, you mean it constructed or yeah? It was oh, baby, that did that kind of deep. Did reckless wave do that much in constructed? No, it did nothing. It did, no. it did, it did stone nothing. zero and constructed, and it wasn't uh, a high pick in limited either. That's what I thought. Man, yeah, I, man, I, I never we got one. one myself. Yeah, my, my other archetype is I love drafting the uh, Talarian Academy decks. Oh yeah, those yeah. are sweet. The upheaval. Yeah. Oh oh god, upheaval. Like the upheaval, like uh, artifact decks where you get to like play crap like metal worker and upheaval and. Uh, and uh, Academy, and hmm, let me float this much, and then redo this. And favorite cube card, Marshall? Easy. Not remotely close. Manowar. Yeah, <laughs> that's my boy. That's my favorite magic card, that's period. Right, that's and right. my favorite cube card. And, and it's got uh, some sweet artwork on the uh, on that portal one. It's pretty awesome. The one where it's like the guy's going like, ah. I'm trying to track that artwork down. You know that? The OG art? Yeah. Una Fricker. Huh. Yeah, but uh, it turns out I think it's been sold already, and so it's it's out uh, in the world somewhere. So, oh. right, it's on. It's it's out of It's in a black hole somewhere, basically. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I've got one of them in my hand right now, though. So is that good? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah awesome. 
I like Perfect. that. That art is, is weird, and I like it. Usman, favorite cube card? So, before, it used to be balance. Oh, yeah. Now, I think it's either... It's it's close, very close between Venter, Shape, or Savant, because that card's so versatile and so good. Or... Goblin Rabble Master. Oh, really? I love that card so That's awesome. Much. Actually, the funny thing is, um, solely based on testing it for Cube, because I remember when it got spoiled, it was in Duels 15, and I was like, what? What? This card seems really good. What? What? And then, like, nobody cared, and it was, you know, a bulk rare for a while, and I just bought a bunch, and so I got, like, two playsets on the super cheap. I'm loaning four. Anthony, you, I assume you still have them, right? Oh, I still have them and play them uh, Play them often whenever I can actually play standard. Nice. And I loaned my other playset to somebody else because he was like, I can't play red decks. They all require four Rattle Masters. I'm like, dude, you just want to borrow them? He's like, whoa, what do you want for them? I'm like, give them back? Them back. <laughs> and then today, actually, Jeez. when I dropped my cube off at the store, he gave it back. I'm like, what? That was quick. Good guy right. Usman hits the spec lotto and gives away his winnings. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's the rabble master master. That card is so, so good. It's, it's the, you, you get to attack and make goblins. Card is unbelievable. It's quite nice. So, so I, I think mine is it, upheaval's close, but man, I love a Stoneforge Mystic. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love a Stoneforge Mystic. Sometimes it's blank as crap because you don't get anything else. You ever but, just get uh, your squire on? or? I mean,. I, I, we're in trouble if we just get our squire on. Oh yeah. Sometimes I'm just I trying to I'm trying to test your dedication to your favorite card in the queue. We're, we're in a lot of trouble. Let's I've, just let's just say we've we've just taken it straight up, taken a bone splitter. You know, because it's just like, nope, I want to play this card. I don't care what piece of equipment comes around. We're in. Yeah. I, have, you know, like we're we're gonna find a way to make this work. And as it turns out, most of the time it's actually fine. You know, what's better than one bone splitter? Two bone splitters. You know? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes so, even like when your bone splitter is on the board, it's like I guess I'm squiring it up. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Absolutely. Something. Yeah. I've definitely squired it up, but not. I can't say I've ever squired it up willingly without like, at least one card to interact. Yeah. Because we uh, we start doing some reprioritizing when we draft a card like that. All right. <laughs> uh, what are your favorite basic lands? What basic uh, lands? Yeah, I carry these powers. with me when I draft, and they right. are. Beta, beta, beta basics. Beta basics. Yeah, those are the ones. Good. Those are the ones I like the best. Um, I I will occasionally allow uh, Zendikar full art, John Avon lands, and or Bucket Islands in, but beta basics all formats all the time. Nice. So uh, do, you, do you find that the betas feel different? I have some beta lands that actually feel thinner and perhaps flimsier. No, dude, mine are beefy, yeah. man. All right, that's and maybe maybe it's just mine. Maybe because they're just gotten too much play. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I find that some of my beta lands just feel like a little floppier than the, than the other ones, even though they don't look different, really. But yeah, no, they these ones feel. I, I got lucky. I, I went to a store and they had recently bought a massive collection of ridiculous stuff off of some guy who brought it in in a shoebox, and it was all, you know, the kind of dream, you know, once every ten years type thing. Um, but part of it was just stacks of of completely pack fresh uh beta basics and i was like can we work out a deal for a lot of these they're like sure because i mean they're just trying to like those were so low on their priority list after the stuff they got out of this purchase oh yeah we we need some money back for this huge purchase yes so i i bought a bunch of them and i still have them awesome nice so when uh before zendikar came out 
Um, I you know saw that they had full art Zendikar basics, and Cool Stuff Inc. had 500 of them for 20 bucks full arts, and I was like, Nah, I'll wait. No, no. <laughs> so then they went up to 25. I'm like, In. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and then so I was like, you know, I want a set of these for my regular and popper cube. So there you go. So I think Zendikar Full Arts, um, I do have a soft spot for um, Urza Saga Islands that were drawn by uh, Donato Giancola, because he's oh, amazing. He is amazing. Uh, the John Avon Island, or um, John Avon Mountains, the ones that are kind of like very like deep red. Mm-hmm. I like those. Uh, the Portal Forests and Portal Mountains, I think, are nice, too. And mm-hmm. the Portal Plains. The Swamps, I don't know. I, I guess uh, Urza Saga... John Avon, because they're purple and they look cool. All right, Anthony, there's only one incorrect answer here. Don't screw this up. All right, so uh, those who may have uh, followed my adventures of my re-upping my foil basic lands in my cube, I am now officially at enough islands and enough mountains of foil, full art, Zendikar, John Avons. Oh, God. What a home run. (laughs) You crushed that one, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> Those are my far my favorite. However, I got to give a wink and a nod to uh, Planes Three Thirty Three from Odyssey, which is uh, often referred to as the Lightning Planes or the Skittles Planes by Eric Peterson. Hmm. It's like the uh, twisted and gnarled tree in the foreground with someone standing next to it, and in the background are flat, uh, flat bottom clouds with all kinds of lightning shooting out of them on the planes. So yeah, that's uh, th- those are the ones I'm currently running. As we uh, continue to seek our adventure of the full art foil John Avon planes without having to sell my car to get them. I know which one you're talking about, I think, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, if you just type in planes 333 into your local uh, search engine, it'll pop right up. So, all right. Uh, Wait, Marshall, of- what was the wrong answer? You don't know? <laughs> yeah, what's the wrong answer? Does I it have mean, like Elmer getting like murdered or something? No, there, I'm sure there's plenty of that. It's unglued. <laughs> Oh, well, that's not that bad. I oh, thought you were yeah. going to say, like, Mercadian masks, because... No. Revised basics, dude. Oh, yeah, whiteboard, whiteboarders are sacrilegious, too. Un- unlimited. Fill a set in the house. That was how I always knew Joe back in, the, in my Arizona days, was, oh, man, that's the guy that plays all the revised basics. And I'm like, man, why do you do that? He's like, I don't know, man, when I started playing it, I have thousands of these, so this is just what I use. Nice. <laughs> to this day, still does the same thing. All right. Uh, favorite beverage for magic playing? Oh, not even close. Arnold Palmer. Ah, yeah. Love me an AP. That's good. Usman, you're uh, not allowed to answer dandelion and burdick soda. Well, I wouldn't because that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> or, or thumbs up. A thumbs up. Ugh. <laughs> this ginger soda I had was amazing. That's, that's really, really good. I don't know, like... Uh, Favorite beverage? Jeez. I don't know. Magical beverage. Magical beverage. I don't know. I guess I'll say it's ginger soda because it's amazing. All right. I'm going with Frank's cream soda. That's a good one. Vanilla cream. Not Frank's. Uh, Jones. Jones. Jo- oh, Jones. Yeah, they make good stuff. They, they even made a... Ma- I think it was what? Was it the uh, Johnny Goldmain soda for a while? That was the... Uh, that was actually because Jones made that magic, uh, the gathering, Planeswalker themed uh-huh. soda. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, pretty sure the the uh, Johnny one was the uh, was the vanilla. <laughs> However, strong strong second. I always seem to buy a Yuhu whenever I'm playing Magic. <laughs> Yuhu, and I haven't had that in so long. Yeah, oh, I'm always like, oh man, this ugly, hideous yellow can. I'm definitely buying one. 
All right. And uh, before we get to the plugs, uh, what is, Marshall, your number one tip, you think, for improving a cube? Well, I would, I would certainly ask you guys this because I'm not an expert on building cubes. But from my perspective, cut That's the stupid red cards. I hate mono red and cube. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. I think that it should have tools to be a decent deck. But if it's ever even close to the best deck in your cube, cut it, cut it down, make it worse. Yeah, well, you're definitely seeing that with Moto Cube right now. Yeah, that's because I complained enough. <laughs> what? Poor, say, poor what Randy. This? Every time we're in between rounds at a <laughs> at a GP, I'm like, yeah. So guess what? I lost to last night again. <laughs> <laughs> Usman, number one tip for improving a cube: uh, more cats because cats are cute. <laughs> no, we just, got J- we just got Jayzal Goldmane. We did, yeah. Somewhat recently, right? That's a cat. Ah, oh, man. I guess serious answer, man. I don't. I don't know. That wasn't serious. Uh, was it? I don't even know. <laughs> cat tribal. Cat tribal. Tribal deck. I don't know. More. Uh, I don't know. Like, if I were to say like the average cube, and say like, hey, make it what what common complaint. It used to be like aggressive decks were terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's still a thing. Well, that's kind of directly opposed to what Marshall's saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like the aggressive deck is too good. One of the aggressive decks is too good. It's it's horrible. I, li- I like aggressive decks for what it's worth. I I, I think yeah. you guys are onto that. I've always thought that Usman was onto something with making blue more uh, assertive, but uh, <laughs> it's for some reason red seems to play out differently with all the direct damage, and that's well, the part yeah. I don't like. Well, and it's because Red's been doing the same thing for 20 years, right? And we just have so much overlap and so much redundancy. What do the cards do? They come down early and hit hard, or they burn your face. Right. We've yeah. had 20 years of that, you know? Like like I said, Hammer of Bogarden is, you know, way off the, you know, the reservation. Right. Volcanic Hammer, even yeah. you know, off of, or, you know, like Fire Ambush or whatever you want to call it. Way, you know, so far down the list now. You know, yeah. so we've just had all these years of red doing the same things, which is, I, I think, certainly a, a tip is get try to get your red to do other things. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's guess... the thing. That's the good one. I like the way you put that, because the, the, the main thing that I'm always trying to push for with this stuff is interactivity. Right. I want interaction. And it feels like, uh, you know, one of the decks that I thought was really good in the Legacy Cube in this last iteration was Mono White. And it it did a really good job of. Uh, you know, having enough anthems plus enough small things plus enough tokens to kind of present this this one type of strategy that was pretty tough to beat. Uh, but if you had the right cards, you could, and and you could kind of go toe to toe with it, and it was strong. I mean, I lost to the deck quite a few times, but I never thought, well, we need to get mono white out of the cube. But every right. time somebody went mountain, whatever, I'm like, game's Uh-oh. over. I can't yeah. interact with you. Like you, you're going to do some amount of damage with a couple of small creatures. And then if the game goes further than like, you know, turn eight or whatever it is, then I'm just getting burned out because it's just a numbers game at that point, And I don't have the tools to beat you. And furthermore, I don't want to try to beat you with, with stupid, you know, sideboard silver bullets where it's like, well, now you can't win. I right. want to increase mm-hmm. interaction, right? I don't yeah, want to take it away. Go. Yeah. yeah. Now it's like, oh, I guess the game's over, you know, and yep. it's like, I, I don't want to do that either. I don't mind losing to aggressive strategies at all. I, I don't, I feel like it's justice to punish me for dirtling around and trying to do stupid, 
you know, mm. show off I'm clever stuff. That's fine. I, I deserve that. But uh, I just don't like feeling like, again, if my opponent plays a mountain on turn one, I'm just dead. I'm just yeah, like, uh-oh. well, there's the game. Yeah. Help. I, I guess my non, my actual serious answer would be don't be afraid to try new stuff, but don't get too caught up in that. I don't know if you remember that scene from whatever the Indiana Jones was, where like the guy's like, you know, it's like waving his sword around. He's like, ah, and he's like a waving his sword around. Yeah. And then just like Indiana Jones just like shoots him. Yeah. And it's just like that where it's just like you went out of your way to try this cool new thing, but it doesn't really matter because your deck sucks. And I guess it's like being willing to try new stuff, but making being still low enough to the ground where you're not just trying something that's just terrible or at least being based enough in reality to realize that maybe uh, it, what you're trying to force may not right. be actually. In general, try more cards. Yeah. I think people, like, I generally tend to, like, try trying new stuff out. And if it's bad, like, if a card sucks, I mean, you can always take it out. But, like, whenever people tend to theory craft, it's like, well, this this card sucks in this worst-case scenario because of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, just try it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, yeah, for me, like, the red stuff. Find find your red to do th- something else. We just had a great red commander deck that came out that does, has a lot of uh, artifact interactions, right? We got a Disturetti Planeswalker. We have Dualcaster Mage, which is something that we really, you know, while it's a reddish thing, that's not really a aggressive card per se. We have, uh, you know, you have, you have Welder from back in the day. You have uh, Felden of the Third Path now. So, you know, there's all these different ways to be interactive, you know. The wildfire deck. We just got a second wildfire. That's cheap, you know. Uh, Burning of Xinyi from the the Portal Three Kingdoms. It's not two hundred dollars anymore. You can go get one from the you know from the from the vault set for you know five to ten bucks. Really? Fine. For, yeah, they're not they're not expensive at all. Oh wow, three seventy seven. Wow. Yeah, that's cheap. Right. I mean, I couldn't. Well, I didn't want to run the wildfire deck before because I could get wildfire for eighty seven cents. But Burning of Xinyi is. You know, $187. Well, not anymore. Find other things for your red decks to do. So, awesome. Well, Marshall, thank you so much for being with us, man. I really appreciate it. I thought it was great hearing hearing what, what your opinions were, and you had a lot to say. And we certainly didn't give you too many breaks. Hopefully you're, you're not worn out for your other uh, engagements. Oh, no, I'm used to it, man. And, and it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I had a good time. Awesome. Well, while you're here, man, why don't you go ahead and uh, you, we are free with giving plugs. So by all means, uh, tell people where who, you know, maybe there's a, a portion of our population who don't know you or don't know all the different things you do. Feel free to promote whatever you got, man. Go ahead. Like shout go. outs and whatever. Sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, fun, pretty simple. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm Marshall underscore LR. And, uh, and the podcast limited resources is available, uh, on both channelfireball.com and lrcast.com weekly. You can get it through iTunes or any number of ways on YouTube. I, I try to put it out, uh, to as many different places as I can so that people can get to it. Um, the show is all about improving and magic because magic's more fun when you're winning at it. And it's about trying to be process oriented and take a logical approach to winning, not just us spewing things. Uh, us being me and Luis Scott Vargas, my co-host, spewing things off about what we think or don't think. We really try to give you the tools so that you can learn yourself. Well, also, magic is really hard. Yeah, it's incredibly it's, uh, difficult. Really hard. Incredibly and, difficult uh, game. And of course, you do coverage as well. I When's do. The next time we're going to see you in coverage. That is this weekend. Uh, we're going to be in Cleveland for Grand Prix Cleveland. It is a limited event. It's going to be me. 
uh, Brian David Marshall and Randy Bueller in the booth. So two full days of action coming up this weekend. Outstanding. And uh, anything else you want to plug? Any sort of Patreon things or any sort of uh, any sort of that uh, angle you want to you want to talk about too? Nah, I mean I've got a Patreon for the for limited resources. Uh, you can find out um, about that at lrcast.com. But no, no, I'm good. Awesome, Usman. Where can we find you? Other uh, than hiding in a cave somewhere, drinking ginger, ginger soda and ginger thumbs up burdick soda. Ugh. Oh, and don't forget the tea because tea's good. Oh yeah, sorry. Tea's Go great. Uh, so I most I do a lot of tweeting at Usman the Rad, U S M A N T H E R A D. In case you don't know how to spell Usman because it's such a common name. <laughs> uh, I have a blog. I'd rather be cubing and I'm actually what I'm going to start start doing is a like I do set reviews and I'm probably I'm working on like a. Here's what I think of this card, these cards now, and here's what I'm including from the last set in my new cube, in you know my cube, and blah blah blah. So I've had people ask, and you know I figure it's good to keep that kind of stuff up to date. Hmm. I'm a rate for gathering magic in occasional videos, whenever, whenever that happens, whenever I get around to doing that. Um, I recently discovered the LR Cast subreddit thanks to Marshall because I didn't even know you're like. Hey, yeah. listen. Yeah, I was like, what? LRCast subreddit. Yeah, that thing's really taken off. I've been super happy with that. That was one of those things that we just kind of floated out there as like, well, we'll try this. I talked to the guys at uh, Loading Ready Run and they said, we'll try it this way because there were some people asking for a, uh, a forum. But I kind of thought, God, aren't forums just kind of old school now? And isn't there something better? And they said, well, try, try making a subreddit. And so I did. And it's like, bang. Now, you know, we've got, I don't know, a few thousand people in there uh, that nice. are subscribed to it. And, and there's good discussion posting decks and all that kind of stuff all the time yeah three thousand two hundred forty eight subscribers i think i'm one of them yeah i was just like oh thirty two fifty one wow we broke going up by the moment that is nice nice awesome yeah so i thought that was pretty sweet um but yeah there's um the mtg salvation cube forum which i post in every once in a while and the mtg cube subreddit which i post again in every once in a while Sweet. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, and also, I um, also I'm going to be working on I guess the um, limited resources cube which I built many moons ago mm-hmm. about like you know mostly peasant with a few rares but I just haven't had time to really do much with it so I'm going to be like I'm trying to I'm just just a lot of stuff on my plate but eventually like um, David Mister Asteriel gave me some data Stuart yep mm-hmm. yeah. His name Stuart? No, David Stewart. That's oh, Stuart. I'm like, wow. I'm like, <laughs> but he put, he gave me some deck data, and so I don't know. Once one of these days, I'm going to start grokking some data and making some changes. So I'm excited about doing that. So that's it. Sweet. And I am Antney42 on Twitter. A N T K N E E. That stems from my days growing up in South Philly, and no one could pronounce three syllable Anthony. So it's a yo Antney. So it's uh, Antney42. Uh, also write for legitmtg.com. Actually, the next article I'm working on is actually a half-written, half-video article about the importance of having a cube on deck binder, where I'll, you know, talk some about it and actually show you mine. Woohoo. Nice. Sounds, uh, sounds hot. It sounds hot. So. <laughs> is, that a, is that a reference I don't get? It's a Paris Hilton reference from oh. back in the day. Oh, okay. you know, Whatever. All right. Well. Awesome. Great job. I thought it was a great cast. Uh, oh, also, too, please, if you enjoyed what you heard, 
go follow Marshall, go follow LR, and also go follow uh, Third Power Cast on Twitter as well. Um, it is the official uh, Twitter pay, Twitter uh, account of our podcast, and uh, I'm trying to get Usman to post on there more, and and we'll try to do some more questions and. Once we gather some, get some, get some more followers, and really try to get that in place and, and use that as a resource as well. So, uh, awesome! Thank you so much, Marshall, for being here. My pleasure. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah, as thank I, I probably, Usman. I was about oh. to say, I probably said on previous podcasts, but if there was no limited resources, there would be no third power. So, correct. Very much. Thanks. It's like having, I don't know. It's like uh, some band influenced by somebody else having them on there. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like actual. I was like. What's a band that's influenced by Iron Maiden? Probably every metal band ever. So every metal band ever having Iron Maiden on, like Bruce Dickinson singing. <laughs> It'd be like that. All right. Well, I was mine. I think there's only one thing left to do. That's very true. Rock over London. Rock on Chicago. Arabian Nights. This is where it all began. Wow. That's really apt. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. This is where it all began. I have a feeling that that was written afterwards. And maybe not the slogan, Probably. but that is the slogan on the product page. So awesome. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Marshall. Thank you, Usman. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you guys next time. <laughs>